are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is unfortunately not here. He got called into a meeting at the last minute. Wouldn't you know it? And I am devastated because we have a lot to talk about this week. But Abe will be back next week, and we are here to talk movies because this is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via most spoiler for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 461. 461. And we got we got a double episode this week. We were talking Snake a double review episode this week. We were talking Snake Eyes colon G.I. Joe Origins and M. Night Shyamalan's Old. And joining us for, to do just those things, we have Staying Cool South of the City of Angels, trying to understand the scientific reasonings behind Benjamin Button's disease, Jack's disease, and whatever is going on on Magic Beach. It's Professor Mike Dillon. That was a mouthful. <laughs> I was proud to write it. Your intros never get old. Thank you. I appreciate. I appreciate that. I put I put certain amounts of effort into different aspects of this show every week, and that is one of the ones that I rank the highest as far as priority. Yes, it is quite self evident. Because because the guests are a priority to me on this show, which is very important. Also joining us, speaking of which, from the Movie Home Podcast, IGN, and the San Francisco Chronicle, he's passed two out of three our Chicago Clan challenges, while the third was a draw. It's Zaki Hassan. How's it going? Good. Glad to have you both back here, Zachy. I know it's been, it's been over over two years since we, we, we last we just did the math. Yeah, we did the math. Yeah. Too too long, I would say. Well, well, you know, the nice thing is, it's not like much has happened in the world uh, in the two years. You know, it's been uh, an ordinary, just uh, you know, uh, life goes on type of thing. So, in, you know. in in Magic Beach time, that would be like a generation. Generations have passed by. <laughs> We should call it Magic Beach for now on. I, feel no, like I was that's just going to say Magic <laughs> Magic Beach. What a great phrase. <laughs> I'm not sure I want Magic Beach. You know the Magic Beach movie? Yeah. <laughs> Which one? With Leonardo DiCaprio? No, no, the other Magic Beach movie. Yeah, okay. Uh, but no, glad to have you here, Zachy, of course. And Mike, glad Thank to you. have you back as well. Yeah, good to be back. Everybody everybody doing well in the in the summer? Are we staying cool? Are we, are we having, I don't know what to say. Are we having fun outside? <laughs> it's a weird thing to have to say to people, but are we having fun outside? Uh, it's it's nice to be back in theaters. There you go. Uh, going kind of sparingly, but it's it's nice to kind of be in that space from time to time. That's a question we should do every week. Did you, you so you saw old because it's only playing in theaters. So yes, you saw old in theaters. You saw Snake yeah. Eyes in theaters. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess for now, like yeah, it's not even streaming. So Zach, I know you saw it in theaters because Snake Eyes is only in theaters, correct? So that is correct. Yeah. yeah. And so actually, come to think of it, I did I saw Snake Eyes in theaters, but I saw old on a streamer. Um. I, I don't know whether or not I missed out on something. Um, certainly always a factor, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get more into this as we talk about these movies. But first up, let's get to some show notes. First up, new commentary track. We uh, do a commentary track every month, and recently we just did one for Point Break, the Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, action, surf, extreme sports classic, and uh, that's a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun on the commentary track. It's up now. Uh, you can find that along with all of our episodes over on iTunes. You can search Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, find all the episodes we've done over there, uh, and you can also give us a rating and review, which would be wonderful. It'd uh, help us out in the, uh, the old iTunes charts. And let's see, what else? Summer Gamble. Uh, Zach, you're involved in this, actually. I believe you are. Um, you are, right? Are you on the Summer Gamble this year? I I think I may have begged <laughs> off of this one, because I'm just, I haven't had a chance to, to see much. And so. Well, for... I think I knew going in that I wasn't 
I, I can't remember if I submitted a ballot. So I, I, I'm checking. Reason. I'm frantically checking now. It's hard to keep track of like 17 people that do this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I may have. I may have. Uh, you are. You are the summer gamble. Look at you. I, well, well, look at that. <laughs> I'm doing shit when I'm asleep without even realizing. It was literally the last second because you're at the but you're at the end of the list of Z. So I'm like, there he is. <laughs> okay. Uh, but for those that don't know why I'm yelling summer gamble at the talk about logs, it's because we do a challenge every year where we try to predict the top 10 films at the box office. This year, we are doing it for the worldwide box office, which is going to be interesting, to say the least. And uh, this week, we did have Old, uh, where we some of us feel it might be a contender. So I think it's a lot of, in Dark Horse spots on a lot of people. Snake Eyes as well. Uh, both both films actually are ones I don't think made many top ten lists, but certainly are big summer releases. And according to the numbers this week, what did we do with these opening debuts? Old came in at the ton number one with 16.5 million, Snake Eyes of 13.35 million, which is not great for Snake Eyes. Uh, but we are doing the worldwide, worldwide box office, so maybe the, uh, the, the, the golden Koji touch will uh, <laughs> bring people together around the world for a bigger, a bigger, uh, bigger haul, but we'll see where that goes. Um, but yeah, end of the summer, we'll be wrapping that up, and that's going to be a lot of fun to see who came out on top. Uh, what else? Contest. Uh, last week, we announced a summer contest where I have two copies of Do the Right Thing, one on 4K Blu-ray and one the Criterion Collection Blu-ray. And the only thing you have to do to enter this contest is submit what is your favorite quote from a summer movie. And you can submit that to us in any capacity on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter page, our email, outnotpodcast.gmail.com. Your favorite quote from a summer movie, as in a film released during the summer. Um, and we will draw two names randomly in a couple of weeks from now, uh, mid-August, I believe I established the date to be. And we will uh, get two winners for two cop- uh, for, a cop- for brand new copies of Do the Right Thing, a summer movie in itself. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's up now for people that are that are in North America. I got to keep <laughs> saying that out because, you know, shipping. I think that's show notes for now, so let's move on now. Let's get to some Out Now quickies. Damn, each week and Out Now, we've been talking about it during the week. That's always a good to quickies. Damn. All right. Let's, uh, Mike, let's start with you. What other movies have you seen recently? Um, I saw Pig. Yeah? Which I liked a lot. I think it's being mismarketed a bit as a revenge thriller, which is incorrect, right? Uh, I'd argue this. I don't think it's being mismarketed at all. I think people just said, it's like this meets this. And they've ran well, with it, despite not, you know, taking into account the marketing, the trailer, which very much does not say that at all. I think. I think it. Well, what? I think I, the tone it, is exactly on point. The the mistaken sort of rumor that's out there is that this is basically Nicolas Cage doing John Wick, but with a pig. Mm-hmm. And I admit I would be kind of into that, but the the actual film I saw is has a lot more complex things going on that I really appreciated. It's it's a bit arch, but that was kind of neat and it's very Nicolas Cage is. Yeah, it's 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 great. I recommend it. Cool. Anything else? Uh, uh, oh, what else? Uh, Mama Weed. Mama Weed. Uh, Mama Weed. Uh, What's that? Um, that's uh the new Isabelle Huppert movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's uh kind of satirical comedy, and I, I'm a little obsessed with Isabelle Huppert, and so I, I um I was with it all the way. I thought it was very funny. And what else? Oh, I saw Val. That's yeah. The most recent thing I saw. Yeah, it's. You've seen it, right, Aaron? I have seen Val. Zach, have you seen Val? Uh, the the HBO thing? The uh, the Val Kilmer I think it's Amazon. I oh, Val, Val. No, I'm 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 going to. I'm I'm uh, in this coming weekend. I'll be watching. Cool. 
Yeah, then, then I won't. Yeah, I won't go too deep into it. I, it's pretty good. I didn't really care for how hagiographic it was at times. Sure. Um, it. I feel like it's it's fascinating all the way through, and it really comes together nicely as a doc topic because Val Kilmer has been sitting on this wealth of footage he's been collecting all his life. Which is pretty fascinating to like see yeah. the footage itself. Like, there's a lot of it that's presented with with a lack of commentary, which I enjoyed because it's just like in the moment stuff where you can kind of read certain thoughts on it but yeah well i think i think as a whole the project is juggling two things right there's something very poignant about the kind of honesty with which it's showing us just how frail and sick val kilmer is getting Uh and there are several really heart-wrenching moments to that effect but at the same time it's also one giant exercise in him sort of crafting his legacy or at least furthering his own mythology uh-huh. Um, it, it doesn't really do much more than the sort of perfunctory mention of the fact that he has developed quite a reputation in the 90s for being difficult to work with. And all of that is kind of deftly reframed as about him being someone who was never truly appreciated for how much creative integrity he has. And, you know, so the film is giving us a lot of heart and honesty, but at the same time, it's kind of in the, at the service of a pretty insincere or at least a very curated look back at his life that's fair um, because there's other aspects about like he was raised under a certain religion i believe which is not explored whatsoever now, that's not necessarily saying it needs to but there are like there's things like that i think throughout where it's like i know we could have delved a little bit more into some of this but we wanted to give like a specific type of portrayal of who val is but in terms of what it's trying to do what i what i think i came away appreciating a lot is there's some there's some really nice like montages edited together um, and juxtaposed in certain ways that I thought were nicely done. But I really like the involvement of his children because at the end of the day, this feels like a, a good gift to them as far as who is who do you, how do you want to remember your father? And seeing this wealth of footage and seeing the kind of bonding that they have, like his son Jack Kilmer narrates the whole thing, and there's a number of like little segments that involve them like revisiting certain places that are like akin to the the um the the films that he shot uh, and it's like well this is this is neat as far as a like here's this kind of a, a a living album that exists of like my life that like my kids can watch when i'm gone and there, there's something there i thought that was that was quite that was quite quite sweet while being bittersweet as far as where val is now yeah, I agree. And I think some some of that stuff works best in terms of how insofar as the whole thing is thematically tied together by Val Kilmer's relationship to acting and fame and all of that mm-hmm. and the kind of ups and downs. All that stuff is interesting and certainly relevant to you know a man possibly nearing the end of his life contemplating his his past and his legacy. Right. But at the same time, the film never really cares to interrogate. Val Kilmer as a man of just extraordinary privilege at the same time. And so these are some gaps that I found a little bit concerning, but I mean, I'm a thumbs up on it all the way. I, um, at the end of the day, I found it uh, a pretty interesting watch. Well, cool. Um, Val, I believe it's Amazon prime. Is it this week, this Friday or next Friday? But I know it's in the theaters currently like in limited release. A 24 is putting it out theatrically. Yeah. Uh, okay, Zachy, what have you seen recently? Well, I mentioned earlier the uh, the Netflix uh, Masters of the Universe series. I, I reviewed that for the paper, mm-hmm. and uh, that's been I'm I'm uh, I think in contrast to you, I'm a huge He-Man fan all my life. I mean, I you know one of my earliest memories is watching the the 
the the canon movie in, in the theater, you know. Uh, With Frank Langella. Yeah, and who's just an absolute rock star in that movie, by the way. It's been interesting to see the reactions online because this has become yet another culture war fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and And it's just exhausting, you know, because... Every opinion that you have has to be couched in, oh, you know, you're an SJW or you're, uh, you know, the opposing side to that or whatever that is. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lean positive on this, but I have some issues with Kevin Smith's general approach, um, which I think is a little too self-serious in my opinion. I'm like, I think it's okay to to acknowledge that. Well, this was a kids' cartoon. Maybe have a little bit more whimsy in it, you know. But the show ends at a, I mean, it's, it ends at a cliffhanger, so it's like, it's not done yet, right? Yeah, so it's the first, it's the first, it's like five episodes of ten episodes that have been so far made, I believe, right? So That's right, and I, I don't believe they've announced a, a release date for the second half, but, uh, I'm, I'm you know, sure I'm it'll be, of, like, the fall, like, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I would expect, right, that makes sense. So, so, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, well, let's just wait and see how they wrap this thing up, but, uh, but the the online conversation has been absolutely exhausting. I'm I'm exhausted already, and we haven't even gotten to the second half of the series yet. You know. Yeah, it's uh, so I've watched four out of five episodes so far because my time is so precious, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, as one that's not you know not a lifelong He Man fan, I that's not me saying I can see where they're. It's more like based off this for, and I won't spoil what happens, but based off like how this thing starts. If I was a massive fan of this property, I would be less concerned with the direction it's choosing to take from a narrative standpoint, as far as something to get angry about. Like I just, I just think of, well, why did we get there? And I think the thing that causes the narrative thrust of this is pretty amazing and spectacular. <laughs> like I'd be pretty yeah. impressed with it being such a bold choice. But you know, alas, yeah. uh, I think it's because of well, who's who's holding on to the mantle following this point i think this is what's causing a lot of issue <laughs> and it's like well all right people gonna be people yeah and, and when i say I mean, people gonna be people it's a very specific set of people gonna be people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well said but uh no it's it's interesting it's, uh, it's entertaining i'm uh, i i agree with you it is because it's not like well man i can't if i if this was i can't wait to finish this i would have finished it by now but watching it is like all right yeah it's pretty good it it is quite serious for a show about he-man um, so it's like, all right, it's Kevin Smith. I expect a little bit more humor, but all right. The voice acting's pretty great in this, though. I will say they they got they got some some good talents for this thing, and there's a lot of, despite the serious nature of it, the the vocal performances are pretty sincere in the, what they're giving out. So it's, I agree with that. Yeah. It's interesting. Anything else you've seen recently? Uh, I think that's it uh, for the time being. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, I've seen a few things. First up, I got to talk about this wild movie I watched the other night called Blood Red Sky. This is on Netflix now. It is a diehard in an airplane uh, type of situation where there are terrorists that take over a plane for various reasons. Um, with the twist being, there's a vampire on board as well, and it wants to do good in solving the situation for various reasons. In saying this, that sounds like an asylum present, uh, premise right there, as far as what kind of move this could be, but it's quite well made. It's uh, German and English. Uh, it has it, it does a good job of laying out the vampire rules as far as like how this version works. And it it's it's really entertaining. Like I was into like what this movie was trying to do. Um, so Blood Red Sky is a, it's a wild watch, but I dug it. Um, that's Netflix, right? That's on Netflix. Yes. 
Uh, Mike, I expect a full report on your thoughts on Blood Red Sky. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you had me at that title, actually. Yeah, it's a little long. It's like a little over two hours, but I, I still yeah. think it's quite worth it. Um, I also saw Jolt. This is the new Amazon uh, action film starring Kate Beckinsale in a sort of reverse crank situation where Chev Chelios, of course, one of the best movie names of all time, uh, he had to keep his heart beating by, you know, like electric shocks and, and in the first movie, Adrenaline. In Jolt, Kate Beckinsale has an anger issue problem, and she has a – prescribed by her psychiatrist, she has a vest attached to her where whenever she gets mad enough to want to kill somebody, which is quite frequent, she taps a button that's constantly next to her hand that gives her jolts of electricity to calm her down. Um, how that leads to an action movie, I, I will leave that up to the viewer, but I will say I enjoyed what this was doing. I think it's just in on what it's – it's in on itself enough where I dug the kind of vibe it had going for it. It feels like a comic book movie that's not based on a comic and feels like a good double feature with Gunpowder Milkshake from last week. They're both like average-ish movies, but they have a lot of style going for them. So I actually – I did see Jolt. I, I neglected uh-huh. to mention it. I didn't mention it. No, I, I, mentioned, I didn't mention it because I thought like they're just going to laugh at me. But, but did you like it? Uh, I, said, ah, I mean it is – Probably not. I think the premise is really fun, uh-huh. but the delivery just kind of gets. Oh, I, stupid, I, I, you know? I I agree I, that the like the first half goes into like just being an action movie, where I think the first half is more I don't know quirk to it. But overall, I was like, ah, I didn't have a bad time. That, that's kind of right. Yeah, yeah, as, as <laughs> yeah, quirky like sci-fi adjacent uh, genre film. I thought it worked. I I really like Kate Beckinsale and stuff. Um, I don't know if you've seen Love and Friendship, which I is have. maybe five years old it's fantastic right i think she's got a lot more range and all that than you get from like endless underworld movies well, and that's so the thing, right? there's really a lot there's, her. there's fun to have with these movies versus underworld where it, it's i can't <laughs> i really dislike underworld because it's just it, you want to talk about serious zaggy underworld is way too serious for itself like, right <laughs> it's it's like you got vampires versus werewolves and they're all like steely blue and black leather all the time and they're just so boring. It's like, how do you do? Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> uh, Michael Sheets having fun in those movies, I guess. And now he's rich off them. Let's see, what else? I saw a couple documentaries also. I saw a few because I saw Val. I watched uh, Woodstock 99, this HBO documentary going over the insane nightmare that was Woodstock 99. It is... Uh, for anyone that doesn't know the reputation of that Woodstock, it wasn't good, and this documentary goes all into that, and it's really neat to see how the promoter of Woodstock 99 is like, ah, people had fun, there's just a few instances, versus everybody else that's like, there is a mountain of evidence that shows this was not the case. Um, so that, it's disturbing, but also an interesting documentary. And I also watched something much lighter called All the Streets Are Silent, colon, The Convergence of Hip-Hop and Skateboarding 1987 to 1997. It is a long title. Uh, that I was happy to write out in my review this week. Um, this is exactly what it sounds like. It is a documentary focused on skateboarding and hip-hop during a certain decade of time. I It has a lot of interviews with a lot of people from this time, from uh, ranging from uh, various skateboarders to MCs. And I found the hip-hop portion to be much more interesting than the skateboarding portion based off its presentation. But it is neat to see the kind of the New York scene during this time and seeing how these cultures kind of intersect with each other in various ways. Um, that's, uh, I believe that's like available everywhere right now. It's like streaming and in some theaters and on VOD. Uh, the last thing I'll mention um, is Mandibles, the new Quentin DePue 
uh, film. Oh, yeah, you, you like his stuff a lot, huh? I like his recent stuff a lot. Like, I really like Deerskin uh, from a couple years ago. I really like uh, Keep an Eye Out, which was actually made before Deerskin, but came out this year. And now he's another movie that came out, I think, like, maybe in festivals last year that's out uh, now. Uh, I Of those three, I would say this is maybe the least, but this one, is, I still laugh a lot. Uh, it concerns these two dim friends who dis- they steal a car and discover a giant fly in the bat in the trunk the fly is like the size of like a pit bull and they did they decide to uh train said fly to do stuff for them and it goes from there is all i'll say um i thought i uh, i quite enjoyed it i had a lot of fun with this one uh, so yeah uh it's certainly weird because that's that's diffuse uh Mike, have you, well, you you say I like this guy. Have you seen his recent films? I can't remember if we talked about Deerskin, but you're the one who turned me on to uh, Take Your Eye Out. Keep an eye out. out. Yeah, Yeah. which I enjoyed. Um, Mm. So, I mean, I'll, Mandibles is on my list. Uh, I'm going to get around to it eventually, but I like his stuff. I don't think I'm as enamored as you are, but. It's these three, like Rubber was whatever, and I didn't see some of his other ones since then but it's these they're just like funny french farces to me that have like absurdist mm-hmm. stuff go- and they're all like 70 minutes so it's like exactly this is like this is great <laughs> like i'm getting just a jolt of speaking of which i'm getting a jolt of stuff from this guy and it's fine um anyway that's not quickies so yeah, let's move on now let's get to some trailer talk where we talk about some of the newest movie trailers of the week when they're coming out what we thought of them what would have you mike is you've said you're going to recuse yourself of this portion of the show uh, so Zachy and I are going to talk about some trailers right now, and first up is The Last Duel. This is the upcoming historical drama from uh, based on uh, based on a uh, it's based on a true it's based on a novel. I know that, and I don't think it's a true story if I'm not mistaken. Well, it says based on a true story. Is it a true story? Okay, that's what it says. But I would assume loosely that... inspired by turned into like a yeah novel. yeah. I have no idea how sure. accurate it is. Well, it's a new Ridley Scott film. It stars. Um, Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Ben Affleck, and it was written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and Nicole Hall of Center, for, which is just like a, a random trio of people. Um, but it concerns it's set it's set in 14th century France. It concerns a woman who claims she's been raped by her husband's best friend. Her husband then challenges said friend to uh, to a trial by combat, and and it's. It's called The Last Duel because it's like the last time that there was like a legally sanctioned duel to take place. But uh, Zachy, with all, with all of that in mind, where, where, where do you think of this trailer? Um, I'm interested, though, if I'm honest, I'm mildly interested. <laughs> I, obviously, I think any Ridley Scott movie I'm, I'm interested in watching. Uh, I, seeing Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in this, it, you know, I, this goes back to like The Great Wall. You know, I, I watch The Great Wall and I'm like, that's Matt Damon dressed up like a medieval guy you know and i have a hard time like sort of recusing myself from that but uh i'm 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 mildly interested that's that's where i'm at like do you, do you like you, you think mac damon's more of like a like a every day every man kind of character that's more of his zone he's he's uh, to me he's like a modern he does a good job playing modern day characters uh-huh um and and i didn't even think he was bad in the great wall which i i'm one of the few people who was like okay with that movie but it's still like you're still like that's mad damon though you know <laughs> i i'll say i'm with you my, my lovely girlfriend and i we saw the great wall with uh, scott Mendelson actually and we all liked it a lot more than most people did apparently you know? <laughs> but I, I i mean i see where you're coming from like there is a sort of 
because I yeah, when I see Matt Damon, I tend to think of him more as a he he's his prime mode is like every man like that seems right. like his thing where when you see him back in time um it's like okay same with Affleck <laughs> who you know he, he has hair in this movie that's that stands out <laughs> meanwhile Adam Driver I think it's because Adam Driver is so like he, he seems like he comes from this era <laughs> and so it's like yeah, yeah that makes sense like I, I right I'm not against this like that so like when you it's like oh by the way also Ben Affleck and Matt Damon which in itself having them as a package duo also has a sense of like Oh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are back together. <laughs> like that's that's a yeah. Um, it's it's the '90s all over again. Yeah. But um, I mean, yeah, I I agree with you as far as it's a Ridley Scott film, so I'm automatically interested. Um, the it, it like it's weird that it's called The Last Duel. His first film's The Duelist, but he still has another film coming out this year. So it's like, well, <laughs> would have been a neat way to wrap up his career. But he, uh, at I believe what is he like 83 something like that. Yeah, exactly. I'm dead on. Nailed it. Uh, but um, he's churning, like literally churning them out. He's got he's got this movie and another movie like the a month a uh, month later. So it's like good for you, Ridley. Like doing your and, thing and good on him. Yeah. And I, I assume he has like all of the best people for you know what I assume is an Oscar contender, like big you know medieval movie with big stars and what have you. But um, right. You know, I, I'm certain I'm certainly curious. I'll say this. I mean, as far as Ridley Scott goes. He he doesn't tend to strike out with the like big historical epics. Um, uh, That's so, true, or at least uh, critically, because like Kingdom of, Kingdom of Heaven was a big bomb. But for me, I mean, the director's cut especially is one of his best movies. It, and I, and it's I, a damn good movie. And obviously, Gladiator is its own. Like I I'm lesser on that movie by comparison, but it's not like that movie doesn't have its share of fans or box office. Uh, so uh, that right. movie does the job, among other you know things when Ridley kind of goes big that way. But uh, in saying that, I'm like. Well, like all of his movies, I do look that way, but with uh, some yeah. exceptions. But regardless, uh, the last duel arrives at theaters October fifteenth, twenty twenty one. The next film we'll talk about here is Jackass Forever. This is the fourth Jackass film, a continuation, of course, of the prank stunt comedy series spawned by, by MTV, and it stars such legends as Johnny Knoxville, Steve O, Wee Man, Chris Pontius, Dave England, Danger Aaron, and Preston Lacey. This is a this is I am I believe they've said many times this is the finally the, the final Jackass film, which makes sense because they're if not in their fifties, certainly approaching their fifties, and frankly, they're all getting hurt quite often making these movies at this point. But um, <laughs> with that said, uh, I know Mike is specifically not talking about this trailer because he's very excited for it, doesn't want anything ruined for him. But Zachy, are you a Jackass fan? Are you looking forward to what this is going to do? So I am a Jackass aware person um, i've i've not seen any of the movies i've not seen any of the shows i mean i know of it because you can't be alive in the last 20 plus years and not be aware of jackass but i was watching this trailer and i was like man I, this is for johnny knoxville what indy five is for harrison ford <laughs> where you're like you're like on the borderline here buddy like <laughs> don't do anything rash you know um, I'm actually curious to watch it. I, I, like I said, I've never seen any of the movies, but I like Johnny Knoxville. I've general, I've liked him in, in, you know, whatever movies he's been I li- in. So I do. I, I like him too. I like him in stuff. I wish he would do yeah. more because I do think he's generally talented as an actor. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually, I, I may end up like, this may be my very first jackass experience. Go figure. I, I mean, 
I would say you should check out the Jackass. At least it's a film. It's not like you had to watch the whole series, but the um, there's certainly a sense of humor. Like if you, if you're watching a trailer for this, you'd be like, I'm curious. It's like, well, there's a lot of it. <laughs> you, can, you can see. Yeah. It. But uh, I will say I I can't say like I'm a Jackass super fan, but I am like when it comes around, I am happy to see it, and I do tend to laugh a lot because there's just something so primal and interesting about watching these like how this stuff unfolds. I'll, and I'll go as far as to say that I made a I made a list of the best 3D movies of the decade um, back in 2020. And Jackass 3D I put very high up there because I do I did think it used a, it had an interesting approach to the format given the nature of these movies. But mm. also the setups for the stunts they were doing in the, that movie they're they're more creative than some would think um, if you're just coming in from the outside. There's some like clever visual imagery they're going for or references they're taking as far as what's being put on screen and like how they're delivering it. Like it like it's almost it's basically art like at points as far as wow. like, now okay. granted uh, you know a lot of it is dick and poop things like and it's like okay <laughs> some, of it lo- and some of it looks very painful but there's some intriguing stuff that recalls like album covers and stuff where it's like. This is interesting to think of that there's some thought behind some of these things. Um, nice. And yeah, with this one, it's it's between my curiosity as far as what these stunts are going to be and like what they're going for, it's also like it's borderline legacy sequel time, right? Because it's 2021, the last film was 2010, um, and this is like the final entry. So it's like it'll be wow. neat to see like these guys at this age being like, here's one last ride for us in the, in the world of Jackass. So I. Right. I am very intrigued to see like where this all goes. It's not like there's a plot. It's not like I'm going to be concerned if like someone dies at the end. But I mean, it's... <laughs> but it is. Uh, I, I I I'm more excited for this than I am for some like major films coming out, just because I I really want to see what like the what they come up with. And even just like the posters get me excited. Like the main poster is like a guy coming out of a cannon with wings. <laughs> it's like yeah, okay. right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I Jack. That's Johnny Knoxville, right? I saw that. I believe yeah, it's Johnny. I, I assume they all probably do it, but yeah, Johnny Knoxville is, is right there. I, saw, uh, I was like, man, that's because they say he's forty nine. I'm like, man, I yeah. wouldn't do that shit now, and I'm I'm not yet forty nine yet. Another one is like a guy. I think it's Knoxville again, actually, who's like vertically upside down with a bull next to him, as and he just got hit by the bull. <laughs> so it's like. <laughs> <laughs> but um jackass forever hits theaters october 22nd 2021 uh, a week after so after the last duel tech he'll be like all right next jack, week jack day i need a palate cleanser <laughs> double feature what if matt david known for his cameos shows up for uh, jackass forever for some reason as well? I, I would be down okay uh well let's move on now let's get to uh, let's get to our our first of two reviews for snake eyes colon gi joe origins you saved my life. We are going home. I don't have a home. Not yours. Mine. I can't change your past. But I can offer you a purpose. For 600 years, our ninja have brought peace to the world. I believe in you. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Snake Eyes. It's been a big week for 80s animated revivals, right? Along with He-Man, who are returning <laughs> to the world of G.I. Joe. More specifically, after two previous films, 2009's 
Rise of Cobra and 2013's Retaliation, this latest Hasbro film puts focus on Snake Eyes. While famously mute and not seen without his signature mask, this film is an origin story for the ninja character, starring Henry Golding as a man looking for revenge. To get it, he'll have to walk between the Yakuza and an ancient ninja clan, learning how to be a supreme fighter in the process. He'll also find time to form a bond with the ninja who will eventually become known as Storm Shadow, and have a glimpse of the war between G.I. Joes and Cobra. Zaki, you've already said you're a big fan of He-Man. Were you a big fan of the G.I. Joe uh, series going up? And what do you think of this this film? Oh, I, I was a massive G.I. Joe fan. I mean, I... Uh, more so than even the animated series, which I which I did watch, I I grew up reading uh, the comic book series, and that's one of the few comic book runs that I still reread. Like I know that entire original Marvel run, so this was really my thing. I always say this growing up in in I was in Saudi Arabia. There weren't very many comic books available. But there was GI Joe, was one of the comic books that was uh, sold there. That's interesting so, that G.I. Joe would be in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, I always joke. I'm like, over there it was called Cobra. And I, <laughs> but but uh, I'm kidding, folks. This is um, but, but, I mean, it was really my thing, you know, and uh, specifically the G.I. Joe origin story in the, in the comic books, which was in issues 26 and 27, is one of those, like, I, st- I remember the, the specific panels and the verbiage and stuff because I found it very poignant, you know? And so when they announced this movie, I was like, well, I, I like, knew. I was like, well, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be that thing that's so precious to me. So I, I just separated. I had to separate it from that. I was like, this is going to be a new take. And that's why I took my kids with me to the screen because I was like, I really need to experience this movie through them and i'm really glad i did that so you so you you like the movie uh i would say it, it's a it's a thumbs up but you know it's a thumbs up with an asterisk i i personally of the three gi joe movies i actually really like uh retaliation that's probably in to me that's like the closest i've gotten to gi joe that's like the, the comic books that i read uh i like this in that the stakes are a little smaller and that was more appealing to me. I mean, in, in retaliation, there's a scene where London gets like nuked out of existence and like, nobody says anything, you know, like I'm like, London does not exist anymore. That should be a bigger deal. And, and that's one of those things that's like, it's almost parody, right? With this, I'm like, it's not about the end of the world or whatever. It's just like this thing going on between those handful of people. And I, I prefer that. Uh, I think, the 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 martial arts sequences i wish i could make out what the hell's going on because i think they really did a disservice to mm-hmm. the any of the fight scenes because they're just they're just they're either edited without comprehension or you can't see anything you know um but i liked henry golding in this and uh, it, i i doubt we'll see any more but i when it ended and you know it's obviously meant to set up more i was like yeah i'd, I'd be down to see more you know so to me that's that's the ultimate barometer. It's like a, it's not a raving endorsement, but I was like, no, it was good. I enjoyed it. Mike, where, where are you with G.I. Joe as a franchise? What did you think of this this origin story? I, I don't have any relationship to Snake Eyes or G.I. Joe generally, um, unlike you two. He, you He-Man men. Um, to be fair, I, I did not say I did, and I also said I specifically don't have a relationship to He-Man. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, I really should listen. I really should be listening to the show. <laughs> I think I saw, I saw the first GI Joe, the movie, 
Um, I seem I didn't leave much of an impression. I seem to remember there was some hubbub among fans about like they gave Snake Eyes a mouth. People were upset yeah, about his, that. His, cost, that? his costume's really odd because he's a mute character, but the mask that they made for him has lips on it, and it's like, well, that's a weird cosmetic touch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, he's plenty chatty in this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you know, I was, I was actually doing just fine with it until the third act. So approximately when they bring an Infinity Stone into it. Yep. Um, exactly. Yep. That, that's the point at which they also start introducing some really funky physics. Um, and people start flipping around a bit more freely. That's the point at which I thought it just got real dumb real fast. And I'm with I'm with you about the bad fight choreography. It's uh, well, OK. So there's a scene early on that I really liked, which is when they're fighting a giant mob of Yakuza and they're in a truck mm-hmm. and the right. bad guys are trying to stab through the swords and the result with their swords. And the result is like when a magician yeah. sticks swords in a box at various angles. That was sort of on the edge of being interesting because it was clever and fun and absurd and i thought oh if the film is going to have some more sort of campy fun action then i'm down with it but that's not really the energy it sustains can, can i really quick on that scene because i i'm so at odds with it because it's like on the one hand i agree, agree exactly with you as far as that is like absurdist in a way we're like cool okay that's that's very much out of a comic book like look at all these swords but they also like crashed that truck, and I'm thinking, how did they survive sitting in the truck with all of those swords around them after crashing yes, headfirst into something? Totally. <laughs> like, I, my mind was like not letting me let that go. It's like they should be in pieces now. Like that's not the point. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. C- continue. Wait, on. no, no, but that, but it's exactly that absurdity that I was like, you know what? This 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 is having a little bit of fun with itself. Uh huh. But as the stakes, you know, admittedly, like you said, the stakes are smaller, but as as things become a little more self-serious later in the film, the poor execution of the fight scenes, for instance, I think it's most egregious the way it misuses having eco-wise in your movie. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, you have a performer whose entire appeal, like the entire wow factor centers around his ability to actually perform complex fight choreography with minimal editing. And then you accompany that with just cut, 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 cut. It's just, it's almost artistic malpractice, if you ask me. I think it's it's a really poorly executed. It's poorly executed as an action film. I uh, I do not disagree with you as far as my relationship with GI Joe goes. I think I'm more familiar with the GI Joe like spoof YouTube things of them editing together like random phrases or whatnot than I am to the actual cartoon slash action figures slash comic books. Uh, that's not a detriment. That's not me like saying anything bad about G.I. Joe, it's just I have little to go on beyond, like, parodies of it. Um, with that said, I really enjoy Rise of Cobra uh, quite a bit. I think that Steven Summers doing his thing, not quite as well as The Mummy, but I do think it has a lot of fun with making something big and colorful and whatnot for an entertaining ride. Retaliation, and I've watched both of these recently to re-familiarize myself, it had, like, the stuff, actually, the stuff involving Snake Eyes is fantastic in Retaliation. Everything else is is less fantastic, but like it, I, you know, it, it's whatever. Uh, so this movie, I, I don't know if I made myself more excited by it because I just look at the I look I was looking at the trailers and thinking, well, this looks more fun than Shang Chi, uh, which I you know I'm looking forward to as far as it's a Marvel movie, but in terms of like the ninja movie featuring Asian actors go, I I was I felt like this might deliver something I'm surprised about because the idea of doing this did not really intrigue me. It's like we're a Snake Eyes movie? Why? Who's that for? Clearly no one, given the box office this weekend. But regardless, I was hoping for something exciting and fun and what have you. And uh, 
it's it does come down to that action. Like, I'm cool with seeing like you know Henry Golding and all these people like doing their thing, and they're more or less successful. I think Andrew Koji is the MVP of this movie. I think he does a good job as the Storm Shadow. Um, but I mean, it's a movie about ninjas that fight each other, and if I can't see the fights between ninjas, like, what's the point? And that's it. Really dragged me down in this. Like early on, we get a fight scene where you introduce Henry Golding as an adult because you get a whole prologue with him as a kid. And it's all, you know, close up and shaky and whatnot. I'm like, okay, it's like the first fight, and it's because you're trying to get to know him. You're trying to understand the mood. But then it goes to more and more fights. I'm like, oh, so this is just going to be the, the visual style for all of this. And I was just not into it. I, 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 I had a, I had a really tough time getting into the movie on an action basis. And outside of that, it's like, okay, it's like generic origin story stuff. Not the worst thing in the world, but not all that exciting either. I appreciate the representation on display. There's there's enough budget here that's good. Like it's a colorful film. The production design is like good enough, but it's like you, you just not give me the action. Like there's so there's so many things here that could make like all the pieces are here, but I, I can't see the core stuff that I feel like I should be enjoying the most. So it just yeah, I, I, I getting to the end, I'm like all right, that was that, that Snake Eyes, I guess. There's <laughs> not much to go on. Um, that was like, because it's like, it's not outright terrible. Like, I don't think it's terrible by any means. I don't think it's like a horrible thing. I think it does a good enough job of telling you this guy's story. But in terms of like framing it as an action movie, it's like, yeah, I, I couldn't get past it. So I just, uh, just been fortunate in that, in that regard. Um, let's talk about this cast a little bit. Henry, you do have Henry Golding, um, here as, as Snake Eyes. Um, Zachy, you say you, you like the performance, like what he's doing with this character who, tends to not do much uh vocally or facially yeah i mean i mean considering that you know it's funny because because my wife knows about this stuff just because of me obviously and she's like wait i thought i thought uh you know snake eyes doesn't show his face and i was like well i mean if you cast henry golding and she just unprompted oh he's gorgeous (laughs) (laughs) i'm like all right i get it take it easy relax um but but yeah obviously you cast him, he's got to get a lot of face time. So I knew that going in. I actually liked the fact that they kept one one small aspect of the character, which is we never find out his real name because that's, you know, I was like, all right, well, he's we're going to see his face is going to talk, but at least let's not find out everything. Let's keep a little bit of the mystery. So I did like that they kept that. I like that I, they, I, I like that they modulate it at some point where they where, where they just call him Snake as is like oh, yeah. Mr. Eyes. Sorry, I mean Snake. Mr. Sorry. Mr. Eyes. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Eyes is my father's name. <laughs> I I would have liked if we ended up at a place where he is rendered mute and or and or disfigured, which is, you know, that's that's a part of the, the character uh because it would have added i think it, it's, it's a, a layer of tragedy which to me i yeah. i think the, the the a problem that i had uh structurally first of all in terms of casting both andrew koji and him i think they do great andrew koji fantastic but really like you're kind of like man snake eyes effed this guy's life up like it's it's 100 percent snake eyes fault yeah, no. Storm Shadow is the hero of this movie. <laughs> like, right. He's he's the Harvey Dent like, of this movie. <laughs> he, he, he has to turn to the bad side. He's he's the Harvey Dent if Batman like directly caused the thing that happened to Harvey Dent. You know? Well, I mean, if there was no Batman, there would be no Joker. Therefore, Harvey Dent would be okay, fine. Okay, so. touche. There you go, touche. <laughs> and speaking specifically in Dark Knight terms, of course, not, not, not in the That's, Okay, yeah, fair enough. That's... <laughs> so, so that I 
I I feel like and and uh, what Mike was saying about about the Infinity Stone at the end. That was, I noted that in my review too. I was like I was like you've done this relatively grounded thing, and then suddenly it's it it becomes sci-fi or, or fantasy, you know. And it reminded me a little bit of of Mangold's The Wolverine, where it's like you've got you know the first half of that, the first two thirds are Casino Royale, and then the last third is Moonraker. You know that's what this did a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's took, a ch- challenge three in this movie <laughs> does introduce something where I was like, I did not think this was going to be a thing, let alone that's... multiple things of this thing. <laughs> Good point. Good point. I, I thought that was like something he was seeing. Like a... I was dead set on thinking this is a hallucination. It's like, nope, yeah. those are, they're there. Oh, <laughs> they, just, they just have those underneath there. Okay. Mike? <laughs> I, I, have, I have a big question about the snake pit. Uh-huh. Um, are, are, is it okay to talk about it? Because the trailers seem to be going to some lengths to avoid showing you any of that. Um, I was going to say, because I, I avoided some of the... I was like, did they give away that in the trailer? Just You can say Snake Pit. That's fine. I also thought... that. Well, So, okay. So he... There's a sequence that involves a few giant... And I mean giant CGI anaconda, okay? Uh-huh. And... I, I, like you guys, I thought they were projections of his imagination, right? Like when Luke goes into the cave, right? He encounters a vision of his own fears or inner demons or something like that. Yeah, and, and Snake but, Eyes, as we know, it, it really hates giant anacondas. That's been firmly established <laughs> early enough. <laughs> okay, so, but these are actual giant snakes. And I, I'll note, clearly big enough uh, to crawl out of the pit. But never mind that. My question <laughs> is... Um, <laughs> My question is this. Are they feeding these snakes? Like, are they chucking livestock down there? And if so, who is the one tasked with going down there to clean their shit and shed its skins and all that stuff? That, as we as we all know, the... the um, what the hell is this? The, the Arshikagi Ninja Clan, the temple sits on a giant water table featuring mutated fish, and that's what the snakes feed on. That's, that's clearly what's going on. Oh, because I was thinking they say 80% of candidates die. And I thought, okay, well then, that's that's their their diet. That's, I the, guess. that's but, the that's the other thing. The, the Snake Eyes is just the guy this week. They have tons of entries coming in week after well, week. Yeah, that, it implies a pretty regular rotation of candidates. But that also keeps fine. If someone makes it out alive, then they must be like, oh snap, he survived. I guess the snakes go hungry this time, so they'll be extra irritable next time. Sucks for that guy. Yeah, that that's like, that's classic hard master training right there. That's what that is. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Can, can I ask a quick question, sort of a follow-up to you guys, uh, yeah. or yeah, yeah. Zach's idea of um, how closely this hues to Snake Eyes, the, the sort of canon character? Did, I mean, I, like I said, I don't know much about the mythology here. I don't have a history with it, but I was sort of left assuming that fans wouldn't be too pleased with the fact that we never see him in the suit, except in like two shots at the end, particularly given how much those two shots are being pushed in the uh, the trailers. Yeah. Uh, it just seemed like grounds for disappointing people. I mean, the idea, you know, from a filmmaker perspective, I, I assume is if people are having enough fun with this movie, they won't mind that we're not seeing the core Snake Eyes character, right? But that, I mean, yes, I, I, I Zach, you're more or less entertained by it and your kids enjoyed it. So, like, cool. Um, and also, the, the other thing that... It doesn't bother me specifically because I, based off how fans have acted about things they love, I really don't care about fans these days more than the filmmaking <laughs> process. So it's like, I, the the idea that fans will be displeased with a thing means very little to me. Um, I, from a, I guess a business standpoint, oh no, like I guess they're not going to show up. Although I don't know how much of an effect 
this movie would have had if it had a you know true like the, the if the source fidelity was maintained i don't know if that would suddenly make this a box office you know uh, spectacular hit or whatnot I, I feel like people more or less care about snake eyes this whether he has a mask on or not when it comes to the general movie marketplace but as far as you know fan reaction to it it's like well this is the choice they made and the attitude of fans lately has not impressed me so it's not like i really care about whether or not they approve of something oh i don't care about whether the fans like i just seem to think that for a film that's so grounded in fan service and a a film that is clearly aimed toward kind of reintroducing gi joe and gaining a new generation of fans that seems like a choice was made well, there's a um, question my... do, you, do you think it is like zachy would you say this movie is grounded in fan service though to begin with like it has certainly obviously it's a part of a franchise so it has things that are a part of the snake guys universe but would you say it's a movie that's like doing things deliberately to be like remember this from this thing not, not so much that but i think definitely having you know you have the baroness in there you have scarlet uh-huh. you, i mean the, the all the illusions and there's little like verbal nods to Things you know, at one point, Scarlet refers to the country of Barovia, which is like that's a fictional country from the comics. I it's it's definitely there's there's little pieces of fan service in there, and then and then I think to Mike's point, like who who is the audience for this movie? Yeah. But GI Joe fans, right? I mean, it's it's not a mass mass awareness type of movie. You know, the question that you've asked and multiple who who is asking for a Snake Eyes movie? I mean, I don't know. You know. Uh, hey, uh, as far as references go, because I having just watched these other movies, my my favorite one has to be Dennis Quaid and Rise of Cobra going and knowing it's half the battle as he's like talking to his troops. It's like that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think my memory of the first one is there's a big underwater battle. Yes, and under the Arctic ice floor or something. And Naturally, yeah. Yeah, well, there's explosions going on, and I remember they're like you know duck left right. Because they're trying to dodge these giant chunks of ice that are coming down on them. And meanwhile, the whole time I'm thinking, fellas, ice floats. Do you remember this at all? It's heavy ice, Mike. <laughs> oh, 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 it's the heavy ice. Yeah, it's heavy ice. It's like chubby rain. Chubby rain. <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy, um, heavy ice. One, so, so the one thing about the casting, since you mentioned it, uh, I think Henry Golding is fine. He's serviceable. I, I, think, the, I think the script, uh, like he's inherently bland because he's lead. He's lead guy. Like everyone around him is more interesting just because they're more colorful characters. Where he's like, I want revenge and make with that what you can. Yeah, I mean his character arc is completely sort of prescribed, right? It, we we know exactly what beats he's going to hit during the story. But I was uh, really bummed by the lack of Samara Weaving. I really like Samara Weaving as an actor. I think she's great. If if your listeners haven't seen it, they should check out The Babysitter. I think that's the film that really showcases how much screen charisma she has. Um, maybe that and like Guns Akimbo. Anyway, I was disappointed by how little she's in it. I said, okay, fine, they're setting her up to expand things in a sequel, which probably won't happen. But not only is she in it like a teeny tiny bit, they also give her really hack dialogue. Yeah. And, right. And one, re- she's got one fight scene that's rather lame and it, it really just showcases how she's not doing three quarters of the stunt work. So thumbs down. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> Baroness gets more to, like, and it's Cobra. So like, it's automatically like more colorful and big. Right. But like the, the Baroness character, I think has a lot more like fun basically chewing the few scenes that she has as far as the, the overriding GI Joe Cobra war that's taking place in the background of this movie. Then you have like the other, the other, we mentioned Iko Uwes, who like, 
he's there and he clearly like he did he did work on this but the camera doesn't want to show it um and, and you have peter mensa also as blind master peter mensa who i like quite a bit i like when he shows up in things so i think he has a lot of presence also like only gets to dispense like you know wisdom um or like use his his like chain saw weapon one not chainsaw chain blade weapon like in like scattered shots it's it's just like there's there's stuff there and and the same goes for what's it what's the female akiko is that the uh, female character um yeah. another one like there's there's bits toward like you mentioned this third act which kind of goes like big on like acrobatics and whatnot you have moments where she and the other like the clan leader who's another female character you have them like charging at people and then you cut away to go back to like the bad action with just the guys. And it's like, I mean, at least be equal opportunity bad on the action. If you're going to like try to like show this <laughs> stuff on display. Um, but the other thing about like the action in general that kept getting me was there's a number of scenes where like the one you mentioned with the swords, but more like when they're out, when they're kind of when it's one or two versus like a bunch of ninjas charging at them, it's this thing where all of these ninjas converge on like one guy, but the camera's so bad where it's just like, it just shows like all of them falling down at the same time. It's like, what move did they do where this happened? And I <laughs> I, I kept getting this thrown out again. Just I'm trying not to focus too much on the action. But it's like, it's hard not to when it's like, we're in 2021. We've seen good action movies. And like, why are we making this 2000s born knockoff? Like, I don't understand what happened here. Uh, and that has to be direction. But I, I I seriously wonder, like, at what point were they, like, watching all the, you know, cut-together versions of this movie and thinking, yep, we nailed it. These act- People are going to love this. People are going to love seeing Snake Eyes, you know, one foot away from his face as he punches a guy or kicks somebody. It's like, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Zachy, you mentioned, like, the the lack of, like, tragedy for this character as far as, you know, not not seeing him become, like, the full Snake Eyes that we know. And right. I, I entirely agree with you. And I do wonder, like, what... that gets back to the who is this for question, because it's like, well, if we end this film and he's just like, he's just a superhero with a cool motorcycle, what is this film supposed to do? Like, it's, re- it's very presumptuous to, like, leave this film being like, yeah, he's still just a cool guy who can talk and he looks like Henry Golding and everything's great. Like, he takes a helmet off occasionally. Like, wh- wh- it, it makes like, what's the end of the day? What's the point of this whole thing? And it's like, are they, are they making Snake Eyes toys where he doesn't have his mascot anymore? Like, is that the goal here? Like, I, I just, I, I walk away, I, I walk away with this movie thinking, well, everybody showed up and we made a thing and then we just put Snake Eyes on it. That's it's kind of where I sit. And I just, <laughs> I mean, the, the only thing I can think of is they looked at what, you know, being relatively successful with Bumblebee and tr- trying to follow a similar path. But I think that the, the, the the difference is that Bumblebee is a much more well-known character and, you know, the Transformers franchise has sort of transcended in a way G.I. Joe has not. Sure. Uh, G.I. Joe has a very loyal fan base, but it's a much smaller fan base. And so I think I think the idea of like, oh, Snake Eyes origin and that's just going to get people in, in, in the theater. I think that, you know, that was that may have been a miscalculation. That said, I mean, I think and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not. I think the the idea was like Snake Eyes' origin is not yet over. He still has to end up becoming that guy, you know, who 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 doesn't speak. You know, I I can't imagine that their intention was, oh, we're gonna do another GI Joe and Snake Eyes is he's just gonna be talking all the time because it's so that's so intrinsic to the character, right? 
it, um, it's a weird presumption to be like, well, we had two G.I. Joe movies. We haven't made one in eight years. Yeah. Time to time to cra- not only crack it open again, but presume that we can get enough people to see this to make a sequel to it. Yeah. It's just like that. That is the kind of thing where it's like, I, I'm just a guy that writes up movies and does a podcast. And even I know this is a bad idea. Like, who are the people in charge mm-hmm. that think this is going to make like three hundred million dollars to justify the fact that we'll get another Snake Eyes? If like, yeah. if like we can sit here and be like, that's a bad idea years in advance of this thing. Uh, well, I, I have a. I have a question to that effect. So I'm wondering, and I'm more curious what you guys think, uh, based on your knowledge of the, the sort of past iterations of it. Mm-hmm. I was wondering whether or not you sense that this film is making a concerted effort, and this is not to say it's successful at it, but it's making a bit more of an effort to do a G.I. Joe telling that's a bit more removed from the sort of jingoistic trappings of the franchise because it's got this british actor in the lead it, it takes place in japan it's got this international cast so i'm wondering you know when you ask this question of who is this movie for it's not clear to me that there's sort of a domestic appetite for new gi joe material but maybe the aim is more international it's, in, it's an interesting question because i watching rise of cobra again as also compared to retaliation what i especially now like about rise of cobra beyond it being like silly fun it that movie is, I would also say, kind of re- more removed than you'd expect from that kind of notion because it's a, an inter- it's an international and very diverse cast uh, that's not specifically set in America. I think they're based in Egypt, if I recall, um, and and um, the the goals of which take place largely outside America and don't really involve U.S. government politics. There's like a pre- there's a whole president plot thing going on, but like it's for a movie called G.I. Joe: Rise of Cobra, it's less inclined to be celebrating America specifically than I would have think it is. So it's not like it's the first time a G.I. Joe movie has kind of edged a certain direction, I would say. Um, but mm. are you talking about, if you're talking about like worldwide appeal based off how it's casted this movie, where it's set was doing, I mean, we don't know the worldwide grosses yet, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the, the buzz is on this. Um, I mean, is, is Henry Golding a particular draw? Yeah, is he a um, crossover star? That's uh, you know, I well, mean, I, Crazy Rich Asians didn't. Yeah, Mike. Oh no, I was just gonna. Yeah, I was gonna mention Crazy Rich Asians. I wasn't sure how well it did in that region. I I believe it didn't do particularly well in Asia. That's my recollection, yeah, but I could be wrong. Yes, it, it 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 wasn't like a blowout because of hey look Asians because Asian care people are like they they <laughs> you know like we we see movies we're in Asia like we, we, we thank you for your English movie I guess but, um, the, uh, the the other thing that this does which I find really tired is that it's like every franchise every action franchise needs to have a Tokyo entry someone mentioned the Wolverine earlier it it, it it bugs me that they that films like this tend to operate on the same stereotypes, and there's two of them. One is to present Tokyo as sort of a neon technological a utopia, <laughs> yeah, and then the other the other is to play up Japan as a place of mysticism, right, and reverence for ancient traditions and preserving them and whatnot. And it makes for some compelling visuals, but it's entirely Orientalist and cliched, and I wish they would stop. <laughs> I, Mike, what can I tell you? If I'm going to Tokyo, I better see a shot of Mount Fuji and various ads presented in neon lights. Just like if I go to Rio, I better see that Jesus statue. Like that's that's the way I know it. That's the way it's going to stand in my mind. <laughs> I can follow you around with like a gong if, uh, if, you, want like off, if you want like an authentic Japanese experience. <laughs> 
I'm not saying no, uh, no, but I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't, there's nothing to follow up with that. I mean, it's like, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, it's, it's a certain presentation. I would just say between this and Godzilla versus, versus Kong, I like Neon. Like, I like Neon's making a comeback this year. That's, that's fun to me, but, uh. Well, the Wick, the Wick movies make a good use the, of Neon. Yeah, the Wick movies well. do as well, yeah. It's been a few years, so it's not fresh in my mind right now to see the Wick movies. <laughs> Uh, anything else on G- on Snake Eyes, Geo Origins? I feel like a uh, fairly mixed, Zachy, a little bit more positive than we are. But uh... I have a question. Did you guys find the end credits really um, a bit much? I, I was going to have a seizure. Yeah, I I was like, well, I do like Enter the Void, but this is difficult. Like, that's that was my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually thought it kind of exemplifies my thoughts on the movie, which is that it's really garish and really incoherent. And I was thinking maybe I was just seated too close to the screen, but I'm just, I'm glad you guys have the same reaction. It was a lot. Cause I was like, <laughs> I, I feel like I should be reading these names, but it's not making it easy for me. It's like... <laughs> well, uh, snake eyes is currently playing in theaters. When should people go and see this movie? Zachy, when should people see snake eyes? I would say rent it. Mike, how about you? When should people see Snake Eyes? I would say watch it on a plane, but since we can't really travel anywhere freely right now, I guess what I'm saying is never. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say this is good for a a um, a rental or like an a whatever Paramount. So they're probably like Showtime, what, whatever that streaming service Paramount would Plus. be. Yeah, Paramount. Uh, pay, yeah, of course, it's Paramount, so it would be Paramount Plus now. Uh, Paramount Plus streaming would be a good place for it. It, um, it's very glossy. Like it, it looked like the budget's on screen. I'll give it that, but uh, yeah, not particularly memorable for me. Uh, all right. Well, that was our review for Snake Eyes. Before we get to our second review, because uh, only uh, Mike has seen old, we're going to move on to our. Uh, we're gonna, we're going to move on to to some games here first. That is, of course, the improv oh game. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> like that, like rattled around my skull. <laughs> Just like the it, it credits for Snake Eyes. Uh, but that is, of course, the improv theme for games. And I have a couple games for you guys this week. This is going to be fun. Uh, first game is called Toys. This is a game where I'm going to read the taglines for movies involving toys, and you have to guess what the movie is. If you feel know the answer, say your name and then the answer. Good. Good to go. Sounds good. All right, here's the first one. No toy gets left behind. Mike? Mike? Is that... Is it... Not toy soldiers, small soldiers? Incorrect. No toy gets left behind. (laughs) No idea. This is a 2010s movie. Mike, then it must be Toy Story 3. It is Toy Story 3. You're on the board. All right, here's the next one. You're only young once. There's um, a there's a sec that, yeah yeah yeah. It, is it toys? It is not toys. Oh. There's a second tagline I'll read to give it another hint. Uh, have, you, have you ever had a really big secret? Uh, Mike. Mike. No, wait, sorry. I was gonna say I was gonna say Mighty Joe Young, but that's he's not a toy, he's a gorilla. <laughs> this is an eighties film. What am I thinking? I will say the lead actor was nominated for Best Actor. Oh, 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 Mike. Mike? 
Big. Big is the correct uh, answer. Mm. Worked at a toy company. Here's the next one. He wants you for a new best friend. Mike. Mike? That's a child's play. That's, movie, child, right? that's child's play, yep. Here's the next one. The Thunder Buddies are back. Oh, uh, Zachy. Yep. Ted 2. Ted 2 is correct. Adventure comes to life. Uh, Mike. Mike? Shumanji? Incorrect. This is a 90s film. That's not Jumanji. Uh, as, is, as is Jumanji. <laughs> I, I, I had my sentence ready to correct you. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, it's based on a novel. I believe a series of novels. Not uh, I, think, I think you'll Zachy? find Zachy? Jumanji's based on a book. It, Shut up. <laughs> Zachy, what'd it, you say? Is it, is it Indian in the cover? It is Indian in the cover. <laughs> it's not Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a toy. It's a it's a it's a murder device, I believe, is what you might chance. <laughs> Alright, here's the next one. It's not Jumanji. The story of a nobody who saved everybody. That's vague. Here's the other one. Assembling in twenty fourteen. Mike. Mike? Is Lego movie? It is the Lego movie. Oh jeez. Yeah. Here's the next one. Two dads, one toy, no prisoners. Oh, Zachy. Zachy? Jingle all the way. Jingle all the way. All right, here's the next one. The few, the proud, and the small. That's, sorry. Go ahead. Zachy? Is it small soldiers? It is small soldiers. Damn it. (laughs) Here's the last one, and I believe it's tied. (laughs) So it's for all the marbles, right? Yep, it is. Where toys come to life. Zachy. Zachy? Is it toys? It's not toys. Oh. Mike for the steal? Uh. What? Mr. Magorium's Magic Emporium, whatever that was called. Give give you the right title. Mr. Magorium's Wonder Emporium. That's correct. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that gave me a headache. Well, that was a good game, guys. Zach, you're you're right there, but Mike, you came in at the clutch at the end there. You got the winning <laughs> points. Okay, here's the next game. It's called that was to- that was toys, which did not feature the answers toys or Jumanji. The next game is called What Once Was Young Now Is Old. I am going to read actors. I'm going. I'm going to. Oh no, I'm going to read a couple of movies from actors when they were young, and a couple of movies of actors as they've gotten older. And you have to guess who the actor is that I'm referring to. This is obviously in reference to Snake Eyes. Uh, okay, so here's, here's, the, uh, here's the first one. The horse in the gray flannel suit. The computer wore tennis shoes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. F9. Zachy? Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is the correct answer. On the board. And yes, feel free to jump in at any time you think you know it. Here's the next one. Altered States. Cat's Eye. Miss you already. Blended. I can read more. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Some of them will give it away. (laughs) Mike. Mike. Is it Drew Barrymore? It is Drew Barrymore. There you go. Here's the next one. 
Let me tell you, choosing the right titles for these to make this a level of difficulty with some. <laughs> there are some ones that are easier. There are some ones that are maybe harder. Here we go. Teen Wolf 2, Necessary Roughness, Office Christmas Party, Game Night. Mike. Mike? Uh, Bateman. Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman is the correct answer. Good job. I didn't know he was a Necessary Roughness. Interesting. I didn't either <laughs> until I wrote up this game. <laughs> Here's the next one. <clears throat> Bugsy Malone, Freaky Friday. Mike. Ca- yep. Jodie Foster. It's Jodie Foster. The older ones, I went Carnage and Hotel Artemis, if that was going to make it any difficult or harder. Here's the next one. Fat City, The Iceman Cometh, Only the Brave, the Little Prince. <laughs> I gotta do more? Alright. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Okay. Let's see here. Some other older ones. I'm just gonna read up this list of old movies until I get to one. I'm gonna skip one specifically because that might give it away. Um, Bad Company. The Last American Hero. Hearts of the West. Stay Hungry, King Kong, Some... Oh, Mike. Mike? Is this Jeff Bridges? It is Jeff Bridges. Okay. I skipped Thunderbolt and Lightfoot and The Last Picture Show. <laughs> Here's the next one. Phenomena, Once Upon a Time in America, Only the Brave, Alita, Battle Angel. I thought this one was a little easier, but okay. <laughs> but, could, could you could you re- could you repeat that? Phenomena, Once Upon a Time in America, Only the Brave, Alita Battle Angel. I'll, I'll read some more. Hold on. The Hot Spot, Career Opportunities. Oh, um, Mike. Mike. Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. That's the correct answer. Oh my God, she's in Alita. I had only the brave in there twice. Jeff Bridges also. That was, that was part of the joke. But only I laughed. Um, <laughs> Johnny B. Good. Edward Scissorhands. Live by Night. Foxcatcher. Johnny B. Good. Edward Scissorhands. Live by Night. Foxcatcher. Man, I'm here. I'm sitting here thinking, like, was Channing Tatum in Edward Scissorhands? <laughs> huh. There's probably a version of Edward Scissorhands now where he would have played this character in Edward Scissorhands. Uh, one one, wait, one wait, where he's like a stripper. Is that... is, wait, is, is it uh, Anthony Michael Hall? It is Anthony Michael Hall. There you go. I was trying to choose the right Brat Pack movie that wouldn't give it away <laughs> entirely. <laughs> so, Johnny B. Good was the answer to that question. Two more. The Rat Race, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, Behind the Candelabra, One for the Money. There's another key one that I will name. Singing in the Rain. Uh, Mike. Mike. <clears throat> I'm, I'm guessing it has to be Debbie Reynolds. It is Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, <laughs> who's, who else could it be? Here's the last one. Process process of elimination. <laughs> last one right here. B. 
babes in arms. It's a mad, 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 mad world. The Muppets. Night at the Museum, colon, Secret of the Tomb. Mike? I want to say, like, Dick Van Dyke? Incorrect. On the right track. I got nothing. Um, is it Mickey Rooney? It is Mickey Rooney. You got it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was close. Well... Mike, that one, that one leaned a little more to you that one, but you you won that game as well. <laughs> Good job, Mike. What do I win? You, I'm gonna send you a copy of Jumanji. <laughs> I'll I'll put it next to my uh, my novel. <laughs> hey, are you guys at all upset about the fact that the Jumanji reboot is called uh, Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle, and then they didn't think to call the sequel Jumanji: We Got Fun in Games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I balanced that with the fact that they they called the rundown "Welcome to the Jungle" and then they had to change the name for America. So I'm like, well, at least The Rock got it at one point. So that made me happy. <laughs> there you go. I also, you know, it, it was also balanced by, well, I like these two movies a lot more than Jumanji, so I'm I'm happy about that as well. But yes, we got fun and games would be maybe that maybe that'll be the third movie. Bring it all back to the beginning. Kind of. Nobody asks me anything. I, I could have. Figured that out for him. The next level is that what the second one's called? Yes, the next level. Yeah, it's more attuned to the video game lazy idea of the the films. All right, well, thanks for playing the games. Uh, good job, all. I think we all had fun there. But um, we're gonna move on to our next review. Before that, Zach, I believe uh, since you have not seen old, you you might be taking off at this point. I I will I will depart. But before you go, where can people find more of your work online? Um, well, you can go to my website, ZachisCorner.com, that's Z-A-K-I-S Corner. That's also uh, my Twitter. And, uh, of course, if you go to the San Francisco Chronicle and IGN, you can um, read my reviews there. Also, check out the Movie Film Podcast. Uh, we do uh, news and reviews just like you do, and we also do commentaries just like you do. And uh, we just dropped our commentary track for Jurassic Park 3. Alan. It was a lot of fun. They, of course, I mean, that gets called out. So you can you can expect uh, that and more. Fun <laughs> well, Very, very cool, very cool, and uh, I've been happy to be a, a guest on there uh, on at some points. I, I hope hope to come back at some point soon. Hope, we, we, talk we, we hope we'll have you back soon. Yeah. At some at some point, we got to do we got to do our our crossover commentary track. We got to get Aaron and Abe and and Zach and Zachy and Brian to do a commentary track on some really really obscure movie at some point. That would be fun. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, Zachy, good to hear from you as always. Good to have you back, and uh, hopefully have you back soon. Thanks. Good. Thanks so much. Bye. For sure. Bye, Zachy. All right. Now it's time for our review of Old. Wow. Do you believe I found this online? I guess it's not that secret, a beast. Whoa. Who would leave this? From the hotel. They're so rusted. What's happening? Found stuff from the hotel in the sand. I don't know. What happened to her? The body has decomposed. How quickly can that happen? Seven years. But she just died. Wait, where are the kids? Trent! Kara! Come here! Hey, have you seen my children? Mom? I'm, I'm...
I'm right here. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Old. Having gotten the Unbreakable trilogy out of his system and having shifted his focus to small-budgeted films, uh, M. Night Shyamalan is in a position to basically do whatever he wants. Based on a graphic novel given to him by his daughter, Old is his latest project, and it concerns a family on a tropical vacation who are taken to a private beach where things take a turn for the worse. As the family and other beachgoers soon discover, they are aging at a rapid pace and seemingly have no way to escape. The whole situation is off-putting to say the least, especially when it comes to the young children who go from ages 6 and 11 to teenagers in a few hours. Who will these? How will these people escape this nightmare? Mike, where are you of Shyamalan, and what do you think of old? I don't think it's going to age well. Haha, <laughs> is that dumb? <laughs> I, th- I, I, I enjoyed this even less than Snake Eyes. Wow. Um, yeah, well, no, I mean, that's not to say it's the worst film, but it's because this is the one I needed to be better. Um, with Snake Eyes, you just shrug and, you know, it's what do you expect from a G.I. Joe movie? Anyhow, it's just Hollywood turning up product, right? This is the one that it it falls in line with since you asked about Shyamalan, it falls in line with every trait we've kind of come to expect from M. Night. Um, like he has a knack for great premises, which is why his stuff makes usually really good trailers. But he just never sticks the landing, does he? And because his films or rather conversations around his films or let's say the the viewing strategies, shall we say, around his films are so wrapped up in his auteurism that you can't help watching the film but through that lens. And I just kept wondering, why is he making this decision? Why did he choose to frame things like this and so on? And I felt the entire, I've spent the entire film just hyper aware of how things weren't working for me up until the ending, which really doesn't add up. So, I mean, I have a ton more to say about that, but you should maybe step in and take it from there. I um I like this movie more than you. I like this movie overall, but I can't help but think that there's a better version of it that exists somewhere. Um, I do think that it's a mix of... It, it's the various idiosyncrasies that Shyamalan has as a filmmaker that make it both good and bad to me. Because on the one hand, I like that he puts all his quirky touches in things and it makes... It makes things have a certain kind of feel as far as how these characters are reacting and what the overall tone of the piece is. Because it's very much a... It's almost it's much as a macabre comedy as it is a thriller. Um, at the same time, a lot of the dialogue and like how he's directing his actors makes it feel oddly stilted at times and awkward in places. And it's hard for me to like fully get on the vibe of this film when it feels like some of the actors who are all very good actors act like they've you know been transported to Earth for the first time and are just reading words. Like it, it's there's something weird about that that. It's very stagey. It is, and it's clearly deliberate because he's done this many times before now. The, hap- I, the Happening is the one I compare this to most, and I don't hate The Happening like a lot of people do. I, I don't think it's necessarily good, but I do think it operates on this like very knowing Twilight Zone-esque type of type of, type of like feeling mixed, mixed with like 50s sci-fi in general, where people are very... They're very big on like presenting beats, beats, beats of information through dialogue and whatnot, and it's like it can, it's very obvious, but at the same time, it's like attuned with what's what they're going for. That feels like what Shyamalan has been trying to do, but it just the way he approaches this, it's a mix of that kind of old-fashioned sci-fi feel with I have themes that I want to dig into, and it's trying to balance those things. Where I think he's stumbled a lot of times ever since the kind of one-two-three punch that was Six Sense Unbreakable and Signs, where since then it feels more. While there's been some successes and many not. I do think he's had trouble kind of like replicating the same kind of tonal balance that I think worked well in those three films specifically. Um, 
with so with this one yes it's there again at the same time there's a lot of good like production stuff here that i enjoyed he's been working with the cinematographer uh mike guliakis uh now for a few films he did it on the on um split and glass films that i i'm not a big fan of but in terms of like him trying to be ambitious with his direction that's the same cinematographer that it, it follows among other things there's some like wild camera work in here that I think really tries to fully utilize the single location that is this beach for pretty much the majority of the movie. Uh, that I I wasn't at odds with. I like I enjoyed that it's trying to like throw you through a loop with some of the ways that were like transported around this beach. At the same time, the other thing that kind of got to me was this feels like it should have been an R-rated movie. I I'm not a guy that says like all horror should be rated R. That's ridiculous, but the way the camera has to like obscure things or let us focus entirely on like uh, reaction shots it kept feeling like this is already a pretty low budget movie like what are we losing out on if we don't get an r rating for this thing because there's so many like things the beach is doing to people that are grisly (laughs) that i'd like to kind of see better i'd like to have more clarity on um if anything um and to speak to your point about like kind of where this all goes Given how mean this film is, because it's a very mean movie, I was. It's not so much that I was annoyed with like the reveal. I just thought the reveal was like a lot, and it's like okay, that's that's the answer, I guess. But it's that not only do we get the understanding of what's going on, but that it all has a fairly tidy wrap up. And I, I just like I don't know if the movie earned this night amount of tidiness when everything was so grisly and mean leading up to it. it feels like it just went a. It feels like it like stepped up to the edge and didn't jump off. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I got a lot of responses to everything you just said there. So okay. just r- real quick, I was really delighted when you said that um, you feel like it's most akin to the happening because I had the exact same thought, um, not just from what you had to say, but also I feel like both of those movies try to have their cake and eat it, too, uh-huh. by adding adding a scientific or pseudoscientific or biomedical set of parameters on top of the supernatural one both of those movies uh have a bit of that going on and but you know placing this within the broader career of m night there's always this tension with him that he just can't seem to resolve between his own creative impulses which are i think substantial and his status as a studio director because some of these films including this one, I think, work best when they're dealing with abstract themes. All of his movies, uh, I'm sure there's exceptions, but it does seem to me that his movies tend to be about people struggling to understand extraordinary things suddenly happening around them. Yeah. Right? And... Right? That, that's a that's a pretty consistent stamp that he has. Um, but the thing is, so, so you know, he's dealing with abstract stuff, but then a, a lot of his stuff just falls apart when it comes time eventually to offer up an explanation. Because as a studio film uh, or as a studio director, there's always this feeling of needing to make sure the audiences leave with a set of answers. And so I just I, I was wondering whether you agree that the film, I think, would have been much stronger if they didn't offer any explanations at all. I um, I, I would honestly say I, or I'm honestly saying I expected that to be the case. I was. I was dead set on thinking that this is going to be a movie where I was basically, I was dead set on thinking this is going to be an A24 movie where it's like, it's going to be all about theme. We're not going to be concerned by the end of it with why the, why of it all and more of just the, 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 what, like the, what are we taking away from it? And the fact that it didn't do that, 
I wouldn't say necessarily upset me, but it's like, okay, so he just wanted to have it. There, there's an explanation to what's going on, which is, it, it didn't, to me, it didn't feel as satisfying. And part of that is because, yeah, the reactions people are having just don't seem like of this world. Like, it, it feels so specific to the film. Now, that's not necessarily bad. You know, if you're taking it, if you're making a stylistic choice, I can agree with the fact that you're doing that, but it's just, it, it didn't jive with me, regardless of that being the intent to begin with. But the other thing that got me is, well, okay, it, it, the movie kept feeling like it was in a huge rush. Like, that was the other, like, despite it being like an hour and 40 minutes, 48 minutes, I, I kept feeling like, if we're not going to get like realistic reactions from people, and not that I necessarily need that, I'd at least like some breathing room for some of this stuff, but instead it feels like it's constantly in overdrive as far as like giving us like every every possible version of what bad could happen by being older all of a sudden and so and and then you so you have no time for people to kind of react to those things because like not only did this crazy thing happen but another crazy thing happened and so i it's like slow this down like I, that that was kind of my thought like through a lot of this movie it's like we we need i need a i need a second here to like process some of this thing and like see how these characters are handling this thing and we just don't really get that yeah, and, and I'm not sure if this ties in directly with this other problem. It probably does, which is that, you know, given how stagey it is, he, he doesn't seem to know what to do with the ensemble. Because yeah. frankly, mm-hmm. yeah, the beach the beach itself isn't big enough for everyone sort of not to be aware at all times of where everyone else is. I kept I kept thinking that throughout this movie. There kept being points where I'm like, why are they not constantly together on this thing? Like, why are they like always like, why are they all like what people are like on the opposite side of the beach all of a sudden? It's like, why are you over there? Like, we're all dealing with the same crazy yeah. situation. Stop being on the other side of the beach. Like, come back here. Yeah. So, so you, so you so constantly the... have scenes where people have to be like, wait, look at this. And people are running from the other side. It's like, why are you over there to begin with? Like, yeah. So, so those spatial relationships are strange, but also there's these weird gaps in the visual logic of the film in which like when the camera and the story beat is focusing on some characters, others just disappear for long stretches, right? It's as if whenever a scene needs to focus on one set of characters, he has no idea what to do with the others. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of, and, and I think that probably ties in somewhat with, I found the framing is really odd, right? I mean, the thing is, if you look at his past work, his ability to convey visual information within the frame is can be really impeccable. Yeah. Um, I think, for instance, Signs has really fantastic camera work. And here, I just found it kind of inexplicable what he's doing. There are some moments that are, I guess, kind of clever in the way he stages people so that... There are like some like standout Rivera sequences, I think, but I know what well, you're saying. Well, uh, yeah, there's some moments in which it's not immediately clear because of the position of the camera that the character has been replaced by a new actor. And so there's a reveal. So there's some clever uses of camera here and there. The the, pro- um, the, pro- the problem I have with that, though, is he does that a bunch, right? Like he there's a constant need to be like, I'm going to delay this reveal, even though we're like been on this beach for a while now. We, we know the deal with this. So it's like, stop hiding this thing. We know that there's a thing that's going to be a thing. And so it's, it's like you're, it's not surprising. It's just like withholding information that we know is already there. Yeah, there's there's no there's no moment where one would gasp at any particular reveal. But especially when you come probably... to this movie knowing that it's about a magic beach, it's like I, I know this. Like, I, I obviously yeah. yes, I can't presume that every audience member knows the premise, especially years from now when there's no trailers, you're just watching it at random. But at the same time, when you keep doing the same trick, it's like it's not a trick anymore. It's just a move that you're doing that's annoying me. So there's that, but then that's also accompanied by these I thought really strange sort of framing techniques in which people's like only the tops of their heads are in the frame and things that 
clearly there's a choice being made here, but I just didn't quite understand what that's meant to add to the visual logic of the film. And it's definitely not adding anything to the suspense insofar as this is kind of a supernatural thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it very strange. There's just yeah, there are odd choices, and I agree with you as far as his kind of formal abilities. That's again why though, like I, I, signs, unbreakable, and six, like it, and signs is a good one to call it because that's also like a, it's not entirely similar, but there's certainly a vibe that feels more clo- closer to this than Six Sense or Unbreakable do, because they they all they all like meld a sense of humor with all this stuff, and it's clear that Shyamalan wants to. He wants this to be somewhat funny. That seems very clear to me. Like his his choices as a director that make like his characters feel offbeat at times. Like I I know that's deliberate. I I it's a mix of like a very intentional humor and some un you know unintentional bits, but it's still there. Like I I don't think he's not aware of some of the things that his movies are doing as far as how like the the people act in them. But it it yeah it is this kind of presentation of it. Where I I just wonder like if he is he just playing around like just like experimenting with stuff to like see if it like works or he just thinks that's neat because it 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 feels like I wouldn't say amateurish but it feels like is like it feels like we're constantly like testing stuff out to see if if it you know if it works on screen without you know just removing it because it doesn't uh, and so yeah I agree with you as far as there's a lot of like there's a lot of big choices being made and I. I can admire that to a point. It's like, well, he's a he's a big name director as far as people know his name more than many other directors' names that are still currently out there, and he's taking big swings, which many directors just don't do for you know, studio films, and that's the benefit of having a lower budget, right? You can make more choices that are yours instead of what the studio's kind of demanding. Yeah, although, I, although mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, yeah, that only goes so far if you don't like the choices that are being made. Uh, yeah, well, I think this ties to the other thing I wanted to respond to, because I think you hit the nail on the head there, which is that it definitely could have afforded to be gorier. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. It has one moment of sort of Cronenbergian body, body horror, horror that yeah. I, yeah, that I kind of liked, but to have this more overt body horror, the, the material really warrants it. I think back to like the fly, since we mentioned Cronenberg, mm-hmm. um, you guys should do an episode on the fly. By the we way. did, we did do um, it with you. <laughs> oh, oh, did you? Yes. <laughs> uh, I really, sh- I really should listen to the show. W- it was one of the like contests that someone like entered, and we did that episode. Uh, underneath all the gore and like squishy bits uh-huh. of the fly, the fly underneath all that is a film that really thinks seriously and compassionately about the ravages of a degenerative disease on the body. Uh-huh. And this one doesn't seem all that concerned about just the raw visceral fear of your body slipping away from you, right? That's such a key component to fears of aging, which is universal. Um, It's when your body begins to send you signals that you just can't do certain things anymore. Certain things hurt when you do it. And this film doesn't really foreground anything like that in a way that I would have found palpable, Um, which is why the body horror scene when we get to it is so, I think, startling. It's also why it feels so out of line with the film tonally, I found anyway. I liked that scene, but I felt like it was a weird outlier within the sort of overall tone of the film. Yeah, because it, it does come down to that rating thing. It's like there's only so much, you, even without like gore, there's only, even with like just how you stage certain scenes, the tone of them could also like lead to an R rating. And apparently there's, this film just didn't want that. So you have a, there, yeah, there are some key scenes that happen where you could do more with, pushing that le- especially when there's scenes where there's like a surgery that takes place at one point that i think is 
<laughs> it it was rough. It, it it's rough and not because both the effects only allow for so much, the framing only allows for so much, but also there's a lot that's like not shown, but you kind of feel, and it's like okay, like th- there's a success there, but with caveats. The same with like another scene where a character is stabbing people. Um, that <laughs> there, there's there's a kind of like oh, I I feel the visceral nature of this, but at the same time I don't like. It, there's a lot of choices, and then yes, yeah, so there's this big kind of overtly visual effects heavy sequence that could have done a lot more been obscured in certain ways because of the use of stronger visual effects or whatnot but it, it just kind of like comes out and he's like oh that's that's a thing <laughs> that's that's a, that's a way to take this to the extreme and among the many ways this, these are take to extremes uh, yeah it, it just all ends up being pretty low impact when it's supposed to be shocking or when it's supposed to be uncomfortable or I, squeamish. Yeah, you know? I think I think part of it is because it's doing so much with this. I, you have Magic Beach uh, where characters are rapidly aging and it's showing you like every po- every po- every possible outcome based off this very specific set of characters. And so you get now granted this is a is you know it's meant for entertainment. I do think it's trying to be a dark comedy as much as it's trying to be a thriller. So I, I shouldn't not expect to have a lot of crazy things to happen on a beach like this. At the same time, it comes down to once again slowing down, like letting me see like some of these things for a longer period of time or having less people because there's, there is a large ensemble and they don't all get a lot to some people get short shrifted by as a result. I don't know. Like, <laughs> and again, I, I do like this movie overall. <laughs> like, I do think it's weird enough to be like, well, that's I, I'm, I'm happy Shyamala did a thing that I wasn't like inherent i wasn't entirely against because i had fun watching it and it's from a big studio and it's like okay cool like that's that's more than i get a, a lot of times at the same time it just feels like there's so much potential here to like get something yeah. more out of this well my my biggest problem i think at the end of the day and i think the the sort of impromptu surgery scene ties into this as well is that like i think we both agree that it's okay if a movie is fantastical or not really grounded in reality as long as it's consistent within the rules of its own universe right and there's too much going on here that just doesn't hold up under any modicum of scrutiny. So uh, without getting into spoilers, just a couple of examples. Like why doesn't their food decompose while it's on the beach? They, they, they do establish that things get covered in rust over time. And so clearly the time distortion affects more than just the human body. Well, <laughs> I, I would say the food might be packaged a certain way that prevents it from getting spoiled over time. Based, uh, okay, well, here's up. another one then. Okay. <laughs> here's another one. They make a very specific point that hair doesn't grow because of whatever, reason X. Uh-huh. And yet and yet later on, we see a character uh, grow a full stubble. This, these are things that just are, you know, why don't the, I don't understand why the adults don't have to eat uh, through the film. Uh, these are little things that just make the whole thing seem really haphazard to me. There are like, yes, if you if you hold this, if you try to like, poke the holes they're there i don't disagree like in that with that logic yes if like you're growing up over time you're not feeding yourself then the nourishment alone is going to kill you right away right if like you're you've grown right. up so two I, years without I, eating anything in 30 minutes so i just yeah i found those holes really self-evident as the film was going on and then the more i thought about it the holes got bigger and the whole thing just it just doesn't work Especially the logic of the ending really doesn't hold up under scrutiny. I know, I know, we're not going to get into it, but yeah, yeah I mean, a, I uh, get you. Like, I it, that's the kind of thing where when you come, I mean, it's kind of where it's like this is 
this is this is fantasy, not sci-fi. So like, I'm not concerned about the science of Magic Beach, even though like it tries to give you some vague explanation. It just doesn't really doesn't do anything for me as far as trying to like understand why this happens but not this happens. So it's like I, I can just take the film at the, the the face value that it's presenting to me, and there are still issues. But like the well, the, well, the, the not... no, I, I know what you're saying. No, as far as far as like the movie's clearly trying to present you some things, but then you can call it's into question consistent. the way it does. It. Yes, I get it's that. It's about being consistent with your rules of your universe, right? Not about scientific accuracy. And, and, frankly, and that, 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 that's that's fair. I I guess like my my thought there is the the things I could poke holes in probably have some explanation that Shyamalan can give you. But that just makes the movie longer, therefore it's not there. Now that doesn't mean it's necessarily better because of that or whatnot, but I, it's a benefit of the doubt that I guess I have to give. Like I, I, I hear what you're saying. The consistency is off, therefore it's like I, I can't go along with this. I guess it just wasn't hitting me the same way as you. Well, I think also because so much because it's so auteur focused, right? Sure. Um, as opposed to Snake Eyes, which is studio product. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, it surprises me a little bit with every subsequent film that because because it, it remains a fact that the polarized responses to most of his films the, the sort of big films anyway all inevitably center on debates around how effective the final twist is that's just kind of his reputation right it's um, something i find interesting given that only maybe four of his films have twists but go on but that i mean that's kind of his public persona anyway even if it doesn't bear out in every single work that he does it's I, yeah. you kind of expect of him so given that fact i'm a little surprised that he continues to lean into that formula in this way given that he must know that there's plenty of people out there who think his movies have terrible endings and if he truly wanted to surprise people or even subvert their expectations he might consider moving away from that here's my thought there i mean i don't think this movie has a twist i i think there's like an explanation but that's not a twist that's just it, like well, it's, it's that's not, just it's delivering more twist. information <laughs> It's not a twist, but it is a sort of uh, a, a burst of information at the end that sort of has a clarifying effect or a shock value effect. I, would, I, I guess uh, I would say you, it's even shocking. It's, right? I, I, but, but it's, what it's, am it's I reconsidering? I guess it's 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 more of like because even early on we're given pretty big like hints that there that there's there's an understanding of what's taking place. Not like specifically like why, but in terms of like the awareness outside of this beach we we, we are given some stuff to get to, to know that so it, it just what yeah, i yeah but i know I, I think it's still fair to say that uh there's a great number of films that even if it's not a twist even if it's not um mm-hmm. something that's meant to surprise you there is some kind of last act revelation of information that is meant to sort of tie things together or make you think back on everything you've well, my, experienced my, my thought there is well he makes mysteries like any mystery has a solution right that's the point of making a movie like that like i i i guess i i yes he's had like trouble with that but in terms of i, I don't see him turning away from it because that's the genre he plays in i mean the times he did do that where yeah, what what, what after after earth and last airbender where it's like okay whatever yeah, like that's well that that's more that's more what i was referring to is just um not that he's being discouraged from from doing mysteries where there's some kind of final reveal but the fact that his uh, filmmaking persona has become so publicly recognizable as someone who just continues to fail to deliver a satisfying final punch. Even Signs, which is a film I really respect, everyone ridicules the the logic of the ending, right? Which is the aliens 
chose a planet that's like mostly water to come when that you know that's the subject that's the substance they're they're allergic to that's the kind of thing that i'm surprised that continues to seem to be a problem for him um i mean i guess but my thought there is well his movies are generally really successful so if there's is there an actual problem or is it just like people online say this like does he care like yeah like no, I'm not sure. Like, I, I, I will, th- this is his lowest opening movie, and granted, there are varying circumstances as to why right. this would be the lowest opening movie. But you know, when you look at even his more recent ones, you look at the Visit, Split, and Glass, they're all huge hits. I mean, like, when I, I have issues with two of those, I like the Visit quite a bit, but and I think the Visit actually is one that really delivers on its ending. I think that's one of his more successful endings in a while, as far as those movies go. But I actually never never saw that one. I it's quite I, I think it's quite good. Yeah. I, I think it does the found footage format well and it has some it's much it's it's in line with what he does as far as and there's even like I would even say it justifies like awkward acting stuff for reasons. Um but no, I mean yeah, to to, to speaking back to your point, yeah, if he gets mocked, I mean it comes down to well, does he care if people are mocking him when his movies are successful? Uh, it's and and critically, I mean, Signs was a critical hit. Split was liked. I didn't like Split, but Split was a liked movie. Glass didn't hit. I mean, that wasn't well liked, but I mean, it still made money. Like it, I I feel like it's just he he's not seeing a problem. Therefore, why should he change? I'll say this though. I, I so you you had a screener for this, right? You didn't see it in the theater. Correct. Um, yeah, my theatrical screening had a little tag at the beginning uh, with M. Night. He pops up and says, you know, hey, everybody, welcome back to theaters. I hope uh-huh. you enjoy my movie. Just a little thing. And my immediate thought, ironically, was uh, he hasn't really aged. He looks good. Yeah. He keeps in shape. Yeah. 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 No, I, like, I, I, I <laughs> regardless, wish, of this, I wish... regardless of his films, I like M. Night. I think he is a good personality. I, I tend I, I, you know, he's. He seems like a guy that likes to have fun, and that I feel like that gets reflected in his movies, even if they're not always successful. Uh, mainly I'm because I, mm-hmm. I'm with you though. I wish someone would stop him from making these stupid cameos in his own movies. They I, don't add anything, and they never feel like anything other than self-indulgence. I I can agree with you for the most part. There are certainly one Lady in the Water's a big standard, obviously, as far as like how involved he is. I will say I do think what he's doing by being in this movie is it's it, it's maybe indulgent but i think it's very self-aware as far as a movie where you know a movie designed to be Shyamalan playing maliciously with his toys that's literally the role right, he's right. doing in this movie and i think that's actually pretty clever <laughs> okay right so he, he's the one who assembles everyone on the beach right but uh, my problem is i i find it i mean there's more there's even more or... to it than that though and that's why I, there's this kind of like god's eye thing that he has going which is I think that's kind of dark. I think that's darkly funny as far as what it, it is. But is. I also I, I find it kind of obnoxious because, well, it's got the, the cameos I find galling for a couple of reasons. The first is that these are cameos that I think would fare much better with solid character actors in them. Sure. So, for instance, for instance, signs. Right. He gives himself a small but still pretty crucial, emotionally crucial critical, point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. critical part that clearly should have gone to, I don't know, Brian Cox or someone like that. That that would have been great. And the other the other problem, which I think is a bigger issue, is that it, it just it's hard to separate it from just an ego trip, right? So Lady in the Water is the worst example because he plays he casts himself as a character who is a writer who's also like a visionary brilliance who goes on to save the world or something like that. Yeah, right. He's, I mean, he's gonna he's gonna write like a book that's gonna like 
open the open everyone's eyes to a bunch of things and then get assassinated. Like he's going to be a martyr. Right. So so he's a martyr to his his visionary brilliance. Uh, martyrs and say, okay, well, fuck you. But here, the character he plays here is a little more meta and interesting. Sure, but I think when you're making a string of movies that I don't find particularly compelling, this is just my opinion, mm-hmm. then your insistence on performing your own auteurism by inserting yourself into things is just all the more kind of obnoxious, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I get the sense that he's always wanted to be an actor and the filmmaking thing just kind of took off. Like, he's he's the star of his first film, I believe, uh, Praying With Anger. Uh-huh. He's, he's like the, the actual, he's like the writer, director, and star of that film. Um, mm-hmm. Since then, yes, he's had varying levels of roles where Lady in the Water, he's pretty much a co-star uh, versus like, I think the happening, he's just like an answering machine message. But I mean, yeah, I I don't disagree. Like, it's not like I, you know, I, I look forward to seeing him and be like, oh, here he is. Great. Give him a role. But, you know, some more like the, and I, I imagine some people eye roll at this, but like he's an unbreakable as a possible terrorist subject, uh-huh. which I should think is actually like for that movie, I think it actually works because it's like he's playing on he's playing on stereotypical fears because then he comes back in glass, right? And he plays, he reprises the role. Right? He reprises the same role as, um, in unbreakable. He's like Bruce Willis. Like he, st- he take, he makes him step aside because he thinks he might have a weapon. And then it turns out he did have a weapon, which is I think troubling actually, when you look at back at unbreakable, um, right. but then in glass, he plays the key. Actually he's in, he's in split also, but then he comes in glass playing, and it's this weird trilogy. So he actually plays the, the same character in all three movies, but then in Glass he references the fact that he was this guy who used to hang out with shady people, but now he's reformed his ways. And it's like, well, there's a through line there. That's that's something. But I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no. Yes, argument. that's something. There's there's, there's, no, you... there's there's no argument here. Yes, he's he him showing up does to be like, okay, there he is. Like he's. Yeah. Do, do you remember? I mean, this is kind of notorious now, but there there was an article. I can't remember. There's a cover article. I can't remember the publication. Time. Was it Time? Yeah. I thought it might have been Newsweek. But oh, anyway. It was Newsweek. Yeah, you're right. It's Newsweek, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it was a puff piece that declared him the new Spielberg, mm-hmm. which, I mean, the comparisons were not, in fairness, they weren't completely off the mark, right? He's someone who, at the time, anyway, was demonstrating real command of visual storytelling and high-concept entertainment. He also manages to get amazing performances out of small kids. All of that. And Willis. But, and, yeah, well, Willis has grown sleepier as as the years go on right i think yeah but like that's it, back when back, I mean, back when willis was still putting out good stuff yeah but like these like six cents and unbreakable are re- those are like top willis performances like he's really good in those movies like even compared yeah. to like some of the other stuff from that time like the only thing is like 12 monkeys is maybe the closest that's comparable as far as the work he's doing as an actor i know what you're saying the next the next spielberg declaration i get, I get yeah mm-hmm. okay so Breakfast of Champions, not not high on your list, I guess. Not as high, no. It, it sits right there with Mercury Rising, which I like. But um... <laughs> oh, you know what? The one thing about this film that it, uh, interests interests me. So so anyway, the point about that Spielberg comparison yeah. is that his re- his reputation his reputation then was as sort of a one as uh, as a wonderkind of some kind, and I feel like the reputation now, even though he is churning out on balance more hits mm-hmm. than failures. Uh, you'd agree, right? The reputation he has now is as as someone who has kind of squandered that initial promise and is just unable to kind of restore his credibility. Well, it, um, it, it's to put it, it's it's such a lofty thing to say to say on a ma- you know on a hugely popular magazine, the next Spielberg, and it's a picture of frankly this Indian director with a name that people like to make fun of. There's all kinds of troubling issues, I think, with the kind of reaction people had to Shyamalan specifically singling him out. 
but the you know the media yeah i agree i I don't think it's necessarily Mm -hmm. fair i don't think it's necessarily fair that let let the guy do his stuff and if people are willing to finance it and people see it and they make enough money do your thing um but but i I feel like that's the public perception that will well sure i well i think i just think it I'm not saying it's inherently racially based, but I do think there's something that stands out about not only is this new director who has had these massive hits, like Sixth Sense was a phenomenon. Sixth Sense was a is the is was huge at the time, made so much money, and it was a big Best Picture nominee. A lot, so it had so much acclaim for it. Yeah, uh, it's in, it's in the AFI. Yeah, one hundred. Uh huh. Unbreakable, not as huge of a success. Artistically, it was well liked. And then Signs was one of the big hits of the summer and, like, the last, like, ginormous Mel Gibson movie, like, when he was, you know, peak stardom. Like, so it's, like, it had a lot there. And so the fact that it's, you know, those size hits and he's making his next movie, The Village, which is where, you know, things start to go down despite it's still making money. And the guy that's responsible for it, the next Spielberg, is is an Indian man. Like, but, uh, you know, it is a person of color who who has a standout name. Like, I don't, like, people like Tarantino and Shyamalan, it's not just that they're, you know, directors of regard, I do think it's part of, like, their name stands out, it sticks out more than, you know, Joe, Joe whatever, right, and I, I do think there's an associate, like, so, so people can't forget that, and so it's a constant thing they can associate, it's like, oh, Shyamalan's got a new movie, he's gonna fail again, because that's this, that's the thing now, the guy that, you know, was gonna be huge, and then he pissed it all away, or whatever, which I don't think is necessarily true, but... I can see why that would stick around because of, yes, it's the ultimate comparison to make for a guy that, you know, doesn't typically get to be the one in the spotlight. And I, right. I think that's a bit of a shame, but also, yes, you still have him making movies that have a, you know, a certain kind of feel, which I think is, if anything, is admirable. Like that he can, despite like toying with going to like Last Airbender and After Earth, which are, you know, studio things, he's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just take my, literally take my money, fund my own movies and do what I want to do. And I still get the marquee credit for it, which but. I think is admirable. And I think it's 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 it remains a fact, though, that his name has become kind of a punchline, particularly with regard to just like the whole what a twist, that whole uh, running joke. And I think I'm not saying that's an accurate reflection. It's of, certainly like, better the, now. The box office. It's certainly better now because there remember when when Devil came out, the movie that he produ- he wrote and produced but didn't direct. But you remember when that? Did you see the, Did you see this happening? Whenever that trailer would play for Devil, because it came out in like I think late August or September, so the trailer was playing like all summer. It would say from producer M. Night Shyamalan, and people would boo. There would be like audible huge boos just from hearing that name. Same happened for some of the other movies. Same happened for um, uh, for for happening. There would be audible boos in the theater. Like that's how bad right. it got as far as the reputation goes. So by comparison, now it's better. Like, when The Visit happened and was a hit, people were like, okay, M. Night's turning around. Then Split happened, and it was also a hit. And, like, the idea of promoting his name on things, because that went away for a bit. His name wasn't at all on After Earth. Uh, You know, a big Will Smith movie. Do you think Will Smith, Shyamalan, you'd probably want to promote both of those things to get people in seats. That went away. Now it's back, and people are more or less like, well, I'm curious. At least they're not booing. Like, that's that's something. Well, hopefully, right? I I think that's spot on. And my concern, because that reputation and that hostility is certainly not justified by the sort of, you know, relative quality of the films. And it's definitely not fair. Uh Um, And my concern is that old is just going to play right back into it. Like, he's back to his old tricks and all the trappings and mediocrity of, of his his endings and things like that it, it feels like a throwback to something he would have made in like 
this this could very much be the film he made right after the village right and it would have been a continuation of the, the kind of things that people like to poke fun at him about well it got a so, and i think that, i think that's a shame i think that's a shame I agree, and I, I, you know, obviously, also we wish the films were better. Uh, that would that would help the argument, um, but you know, we are where we are. I will say the cinema score is a C plus, which is not good at all, even, especially for cinema score standards. Like if a B is not good for cinema score, so a C plus, not great. Snake Eyes got B minus, by the way. The the regard doesn't seem that strong so far. So yeah. Can I, mean, I say this though? Yeah. Um, one thing I did find interesting about the film, and this doesn't speak to its artistic merits but just something that i noticed and i found kind of fascinating because i i don't know if this is the first time i've seen this but it's the first time i've noticed as watching i, I always sit through the credits mm-hmm. and this is the first film i've seen that had like coven's covid compliance officers listed in the credits yeah this one was filmed entirely during the pandemic exactly and so that's what made it interesting to me because like i said all of his films are about people uh struggling to cope with inexplicable things that kind of erupt around them right and and obviously fear of aging as a theme is really relatable but in this case this felt much like a covid movie to me i've i've been interested generally in how the pandemic is creeping into the kinds of stories people tell particularly films about isolation or distrust of other people and and things like that and here i'm speaking for myself but my experience with the pandemic has been characterized largely by just a warped sense of the progression of time like the early stages of lockdown Uh like weeks weeks felt like months and now it feels the opposite i'm finding it alarming that it's already late july where did the year go you know and also there's the so so I, i felt those themes kind of very much kind of at play in this film that that felt relatable to the pandemic experience but also in particular the effects of the pandemic on children who've had to grow up in a world characterized by paranoia and panic and consequently maybe having at least a a sizable chunk of their childhood snatched away from them. And I found that kind of interesting on an allegorical level, which I am admittedly imposing on the film, but I thought that that made the film available to some interesting readings uh, due to its time. I think Shyamalan's smart enough to recognize that that's part of it as well, especially given that he's filming during the pandemic, that he's not unaware of some of these aspects. But the problem I have with this where if the if he if this was like one of his earlier films i think it'd be more successful because he'd be slowing himself down like i've seen things saying and he'd be able to focus more on singular themes as opposed to like the 12 or 13 that are presented in this film because of all of the characters who have different things going on that allow for different kinds of reads on the movie i think if it, if he and doesn't explore any of them really it's all surface that's the that's the other problem i have where some of his other films that have you know had deep things about like grief or what have you those are one or two themes that he gets into and he does it successfully. Like the, the, that is one of the biggest issues I have is like, I, I, I want to not necessarily know more about these people, but like, I, I want to have like less of them to focus on so I can single out more clearly, like not only the fun of this magic beach stuff that's happening, but also get a read on what's going on with them and what the film wants me to take away from it. By the end of this thing, I don't really know what old wants me to take away from it. I don't know what the beyond like some obvious stuff, but even then it's just like, yeah, you know, aging sucks. Right. Or, well, yeah, your parents are going to leave. Like, it's like, okay, but there's because I've seen Chimelon more effectively convey really strong messages in his movies in the past. I just want to see that again here. And I know he's capable of it, but he, he can't help himself, but he can't help but like to do, try to do everything. 
with this. And it's just, it's too much overall. Yeah, I agree. What about these people? We haven't talked about this. We've talked largely about Shyamalan. What about the cast in this movie? Because I do think it's a, it's a strong cast, regardless of how good the, how well utilized they are, it is a strong cast of characters. Did anyone stand out for you? I am a big Rufus Sewell fan. Uh-huh. Mainly rooted in Dark City. Uh-huh. Um, I thought he was fine. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm of two minds about it because I totally hear what you say, that he's tackling too many things mm-hmm. and adding additional sort of fleshing out additional thematic things that he kind of, uh, you know, is just sort of hinting at would only clutter the film even more. That said, there were some additional social themes that I felt could have been explored a little further. So there's an obvious racial dynamic. It's yes. clear that Rufus Sewell's character is racist. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have done more with that. Um, the other thing, just while I'm riffing, is the idea that these people are being robbed of their lives while idling on vacation. I think there's also the seeds of some interesting class commentary there yes. that I wish they'd done more with, but it's, it's really kind of, like you said, it's very surface level. I mean, listen, there's very little character development. Um, for instance, they make a big show of the husband being aware of accident stats because yeah. he works in insurance. But I mean, this would presumably give him opportunities to uh, make him more risk averse or something like that. Um, rather than just give him uh, lines where he talks about stats. It doesn't really reflect his character or his um, decision-making at all. Yeah, I, you know, it's you mentioned that, and that's, that's Gal Garcia Bernal, who I really like as an actor. I don't think he's bad here, but I do think he feels like, the, of the people in this film, it feels like he's the most missed opportunity to do more with, because it feels like there's a lot yeah. you could work with as far as what his thing is, as far as his profession and just his overall demeanor. And yeah, it's really just surface-level clues. That now with that in mind, yeah, it's a it, you know it's a high concept premise. Generally, you don't get deep character development, but that's what I think Shyamalan does well is that he's able to combine high concepts with really strong characterization in his best films. This film, not so much. Rufus Sewell, I do agree with you. I think he he plays a hundred percent smarm in this, and I I like how that plays in. And I think his his character, the way his character what his aging is doing to him i think is handled with the most nuance because it never he's the one character who doesn't like outright say i'm battling this right now like everyone else seems to pronounce exactly yeah. what's going on with this. like look at the wrinkles look at that tumor like look, look, look how pregnant you are <laughs> but rufus Sewell is the only one where you basically like are allowed to infer what's taking place with him as opposed to right, being outright told uh, i will say i do think the young actors alex wolf and thomas and mckenzie i think they do a good job of what they have um, I, I think the, them being children who are trapped in, now trapped in teenage bodies who are, and Eliza, I don't know if, uh, Eliza Scanlon, who doesn't have as much to do, but the, the fact that it's like giving them a lot of perspective they have to suddenly deal with and not really understand how, I don't think that's necessarily an easy thing to pull off, but I do think that they are quite good in what they're trying to do in those moments. I agree. Um, and they're really welcome in contrast to how clunky, uh, particularly I think the midsection of this movie is. Yes. That, that's the, that's the sequence in which they're, they're in it the most. Alex Wolf is just one of these really interesting, exciting, <laughs> exciting actors who I've, I, Jum- I Jumanji's Alex Wolf, of course. Uh, well, he's, I saw him most recently in Pig. <laughs> I know, but um, he's also in Jumanji, of course. I, is he? I actually yeah. haven't seen Jumanji. He's, he's, he's in the, he's the, the version of The Rock in the, the Jumanji movies. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also, I, I think Thomasin McKenzie is one of the great... Sorry, I, I'm not sure how old she is, but I assume she's still a teenager. She's 20. Um, 20? Okay. Um, she's fantastic in everything I've seen her in. Uh, 
I'm not the biggest JoJo fan, but uh, Leave No Trace is Leave No wonderful. Trace is very good, yeah. I, I I hope she goes on to do really great things. And then, but I think actually the person who carries this movie the most is I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but Creeps. Vicky, Vicky Creeps. Creeps. Yeah, I think she probably is the one who walks away with this film uh, among the ensemble the most. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's really great. More than Bernal, especially too. I mean, I, yeah, it's the kind of yeah. thing where like when they when they when I read when I saw this cast and it's like they have the the Phantom. The Phantom Menace, the Phantom Threads, Vicky Creeps uh-huh. right. in here as like, okay, so he's he's got like good people in this movie, like people that, that you know really can act. And uh, yeah, no, I think there's a it, she comes the closest to being someone that feels like fit for like one of his early films, as far as that kind of quiet confidence, trying to match up to the intimidating nature of what crazy things taking place. There's a there's something there that I think really works. I I agree. Um, well, yeah, okay. So we talked about the performance. I want to because we we've been talking about nothing about these actual the actor actors in this movie. Uh, but anything else on old? I think we talked pretty much about everything beyond like what actually happens at the end there. But basically, we're both dissatisfied. I think as far as the ending goes, among other things, right? Yeah, I think ultimately, uh, as echoing an earlier point I made, I think the film would have been better left as an ambiguous supernatural. Thing that was content to remain mysterious and allegorical rather than do what it did, which is sort of provide a very unambiguous explanation for. Because even the happening um, does that. The happening just is like, yeah, trees are pissed off. Like it doesn't, it doesn't go too much further than that. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the weird twist of the happening, which is that nothing happens at the end. It's just they explain it and then move on, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just kind of made me think of like, have you seen Woman in the Dunes, the Japanese film from '64, I believe? Which I have is, not. Yeah, it's 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 a, one of the great sort of new wave art house classics from japan by uh, kishigahara and it's you know it's on a beach and the, the plot isn't remotely similar to this but it just kind of made me think of other films that use use this sort of gorgeous but still very desolate and inhospitable space of the of, of a beach and all that sand and mm-hmm. for for a real sort of allegorical narrative and i just thought this something isn't clicking here it's it's the performances it's the framing it's the the overly expository dialogue the whole thing just felt clunky to me so like you said it was a disappointment well when should people see old i would limit my recommendation to people who already have sort of either a an affinity for the genre or for the director but if you fall into either of those categories i would probably not rush out to the theater but you know when it's available check it out at your leisure I think it's worth being able to participate in conversations about it. How about that? That's fair. I would agree with you. I do think when it's available on, if it's in a dollar theater or if it's on a, you know, a premium streaming site at some point, I would say it's worthwhile to check out because I do like the movie. But yeah, I do think it's a lot of missed opportunity to do better with it as well. All right. Well, that's our review for old. All right. Let's uh let's move on now. Let's get to our out now feedback, 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 where we go over some of the questions and answers on our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash on a podcast. We ask a number of questions to listeners. And here we go. Mike, feel free to throw in any answers you come up with here. What are some great films about getting older? Adam Gentry, friend of the show, writes, The first one that comes to mind is, predictably, Boyhood. Chris has The Hunger. And Jeff has 13 going on 30. I am a big fan of a film that um, it, it's it, it's called marjorie prime okay yeah with uh what's her name have you seen that yeah i have with uh, i know john hams in it who's the the older actress uh lois smith uh, lois smith yeah it's yeah. a Mac- michael amareta film and it's it's uh it's very talky it's uh you know indie film it's you know it's not uh 
sort of a studio product, but it's, I found it very compelling and very moving in terms of just sort of coming to terms with the passage of time and looking back and kind of re reflection about your relationships, not just to the past, but to the people of your past and how they are versus how you remember them. Uh, I found it quite moving from almost the very first scene. I found it very uh, powerful. I recommend it. Yeah. Um, Akiru came to my career, saw was filmed. Um, sure. Was one. Um, obviously, the curious case of oh. Benjamin Button, because as they were getting younger, he was getting old. But, um... uh, Amor, Haneke's Amor is also. Yeah. It's, I guess it's not about aging so That's much. more about the, the results. Yeah. The last step of your life. But... All right. Uh, next question we have here Who are your favorite characters from Shyamalan's films? Uh, we didn't get any answers for this one yet, but. Uh... Any any thought any, okay. any standout people? Are we saying performances or characters? Characters, like the yeah, like the characters from his film. I guess we can go if you want to go performances, we can do that too. Um, nothing comes to mind. I always like the scene, so I guess this has more to do with performance. But it, and I think this ties into what you were saying earlier about how he does occasionally do like character beats really really well mm -hmm. and in a really economical way too. I really like the scene in which. I think it's the first time that uh, Cole encounters the Bruce Willis character mm -hmm. um, in Sixth Sense. And he comes home and they haven't met yet. And Tony Collette, the mom, goes in and says, how was your day? And, and they both make up this story. But, oh, you know, I got a promotion and then this happened. Then he says, oh, I, I got picked first for softball and I hit a home run and everyone carried me. Do you remember the scene? Yes, I do. Because, it. I mean, I... I, I, I do I think Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osment are absolutely terrific in the sixth sense, and I think the mother son relationship they have is very it's very specially portrayed. Like I think it's really handled well in that movie. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's the scene that always struck me as the one that I was really, you know, I can see a producer saying like this doesn't have, you got you know we're making a ghost story here, let's move it along. Mm -hmm. But I was really grateful that the the movie paused to give us that little moment of sort of a shorthand understanding between mother and son. And you know, it was just a nice little, beautiful little moment. It's a lot of stuff that informs who they are as people and their relationship, but also it all, it's all helpful to build to the final scene between them when he basically tells her that he can see dead people. And it's the delivery and the reactions that, I mean, that got Tony Collette an Oscar nomination for that movie because it's really good stuff. <laughs> And uh, and him, right? He, and, yeah, they both did. They both did. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I really don't like Lady in the Water. I do not like that movie. That said, Paul Giamatti has a wonderful monologue he gives towards the end about how he misses his family, who have like all died, and that's why he just lives alone in this apartment complex that he manages. And it's always stuck out to me because in a movie that I otherwise really dislike, Paul Giamatti just steps in and delivers like just the the most a game material you can get from like a bad movie with a good performance in it. Um, so yeah. The other yeah the other detail I really liked with signs and and uh -huh. I'm veering from I'm veering from the question quite a bit because it's not about characters and everything but it's fine. But as much as people rag on signs for why would the aliens choose Earth you know that that, that, that that's a that's a good question but the the twist. The so-called twist. Can I can I spoil it at the end? People have seen signs, right? Not, yes, um, yes. Which is that? So he's a a pastor or a priest. I'm not sure what his denomination is, but he's lost his faith and realizes that the dying words of his wife 
include all the clues to what to do to to resolve the situation, which is I think people laughed at that as being kind of ridiculous. But my take on that was unlike Sixth Sense, in which the twist is finite, right? We learn what is actually going on. And in Unbreakable, there's a twist and we learn, oh, this is what was happening all, all along. But then there's no room for ambiguity or interpretation. At the end of Signs, I felt that, no, you don't really have to accept the the, the premise that this is actually what was going on and the wife somehow had this premonition. So it's, uh, it's how he views it, right? Because it's entirely about his faith. And I'm, I'm not a religious person myself, but I found that there was sort of a, a maturity in his in M. Night's screenwriting and that he was able to deliver a twist that was entirely sort of about in furtherance of character development as opposed to changing the rules of the world we live in. And I found that to be like a really nice, interesting conclusion that was still rooted in some ambiguity and and part of this you know, quote unquote spiritual journey of our character as opposed to sort of changing the rules and pulling rugs under out from under us and things like that. So I, I, I really like the ending of Signs more than I think a lot of people do. Signs is a Signs is a movie where I think it justifies why someone would pronounce him as the next Spielberg because it is it is a it is a terrific summer blockbuster. It's one that doesn't rely on action but still has action to some degree as far as like chases through cornfields. It has a, it has a huge movie star at the center of it who's giving a really good performance. As much as I really dislike Mel Gibson, I, I can't deny that he's very good in Signs. And the the, the kind of, the whole premise is so like it's an alien invasion movie, but it has such a an introverted way of of tackling that. And yes, the kind of the final the culmination of all of that I think is so expertly handled and crafted and visualized that people take for granted how good that movie was, despite it being a huge hit and critical success. People take advantage of how good we had it with movies like that uh, versus ones mm-hmm. that come off an assembly line. So yeah, I agree with you completely that the kind of rele- revelations, rele- revelations um, that are you know that you receive by the end of that movie that kind of tie everything together, I think are really well handled, really clever. Really expertly done in a movie that could easily easily just yeah. been you know generic and it's just like no it has things to say. Yeah, I'll put it another way. I feel like the the revelations at the end and the kind of where the movie ends up feels very organic to where the characters needed to be as opposed to a twist. Like it it feels yeah. the least it doesn't feel like gimmick at all. It's yeah, like it's a not. narrative yeah. gimmick. Yeah, it feels uh, uh, earned, which I really like. And also, not for nothing, signs. It has some good jump scares, too. Oh, it has one of the best jump scares of all time, which is so simple when it's just Joaquin Phoenix watching something on TV. And it's like, that that shouldn't be as scary as it when you describe it, but just the fact that he's like, I'm watching TV and I see a thing that just walks casually in front of me, and somehow that's one of the scariest movies of the summer. It's like, that's insane. And obviously, like, the the like the like the fingers under the door and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's why it's a really great... It, you know, it's like, it's like Jaws in that way, where it's like... It's not about how big you can make everything. It's how like subtle and small and effectively you can film those moments and just make them really register. Like, it... yeah. Well, the biggest jump scare in Jaws. This has become a science podcast it doesn't now, involve, guys. It doesn't involve the. Uh, it doesn't. The, the biggest jump scare in Jaws doesn't involve the shark at all. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. All right, let's keep moving. <laughs> uh, favorite film set on a beach. Uh, Chris writes, Saving Private Ryan takes first place for the harrowing but amazing beach scene. Also, speaking of which, Jaws. Another favorite of uh, Yeah, beach, I'm not going to add to Jaws, yeah. Yeah. Jaws, not swept away. Not, no, not swept away? Okay. Um, what are some great films focused on brothers and sisters? Chris, again, has the Royal Tottenbaums and Adam's Family Values. Films That's a good poll. Brothers and I, sisters. 
I love the lip syncing scene from the Skeleton Twins with huh. Bill Hader and uh, Kristen Wiig. That's a, that's an out now favorite, I think. Abe is a big fan of that film as well. That's a lovely scene. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely film overall, but it I like that scene. Nice um, switching uh, switching things up. Tell us your favorite ninja movie. Chris has the last Naruto the movie, Road to Ninja Naruto the movie, and Kill Bill one and two if that counts. That doesn't count. Does that count? Eh, not really ninjas necessarily. Ninjas, assassins. I'm just gonna go Ninja Turtles. The the Teenage Mutant ones. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Well, are, are there other Ninja Turtles <laughs> that I'm not aware of? <laughs> I like that there's doubt. <laughs> um, who who are your favorite G.I. Joe characters? Obviously, Mike doesn't have an answer for this. Uh, Wild Bill, mustache and glasses from Chris. Uh, I don't have a favorite ninja, or a, ninja, a, a G.I. Joe character. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, last question we have here. Put together a four-person team of elite commandos based on martial arts movie characters. Who do you got? Mark Paces writes, Wong Fei Hung from... Once Upon a Time in China, Ting from Ang Bak, Rama from The Raid, and Kakui, or Jackie, from the Police Story movies. Uh, Chris has Chong Li, Chong Li from Bloodsport, Colonel Guile from Street Fighter, Rama from The Raid, and once once again, Jackie in the Police Story. You have like a set of folks that you'd like ride into battle with? I have actors I'd ride into battle with. Yes. Um, notably like Mark Dacascos, I'm a big fan, um, have been for a long time. I think I'd mentioned uh i shouted out uh, a a recent find this uh i believe he's french cambodian actor named jean paul lee okay. who i find really fascinating so i would maybe cast him as the as the rookie member of my team uh he's the andy garcia of my untouchables <laughs> all right i need i need a woman in there don't i I'm trying to think of somebody who's the the, the actress in, in chocolate put her in there she was like, no to handle herself. Sure, or or the 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 Vietnamese lady from Fury, I think, was pretty cool. Yeah. Or the villainess, which you get all the motorcycles. Yeah. Then just for kicks, you know, someone, you know, Iko Uwais or Joe Talsum, or the guy that plays Mad Dog, you know, any any of those. Yeah. Oh. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, let's do them. <laughs> all right. Well, that was feedback, 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 feedback. And with that said, that's gonna do it for this week's episode about now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, you can find more of my work at my personal blog at CodeAzeeks.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing at WeLive Entertainment and YSOBlue.com, and I'm on Twitter at AaronsPS4. Uh, Mike, anything you want to plug? I'm going to plug getting the vaccine. That's that's my endorsement. Good plug. Get get the vaccine, folks. Stop messing around. With all that said, you can find all the other episodes about Now Thursday on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, feel free to email us at nowpodcast.gmail.com. Facebook.com slash out podcast, Twitter.com slash out underscore podcast, and Instagram.com slash out underscore podcast as well. Again, we have our contest to win a win a copy of Do the Right Thing if you send us your favorite quote from a summer movie. Uh, that's still going now. Uh, I want to thank Mike Dillon for joining me, as well as Zachy Hassan for earlier in the show for being on with this week. Yeah, you're you're welcome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll speak for both of us. Yeah, No, thank you. It's always a pleasure. For sure. And, you know, glad to have you guys here. Glad, well, happy to have you both back at some point. But, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Next week we're talking, I believe, uh, J- uh, Jungle Cruise is coming out next week. Um, but until then, until next time, so long and goodbye. Goodbye.